Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everyone, Brian Lopes in the studio, legend of mountain biking and uh, SoCal resident. Mate to the studio, so welcome, mate. Yeah, I just kind of grew up racing BMX. Me and Jeremy used to race each other. I was at a race with my parents, and I was like, kind of getting a little burned out. And I was like, Dad, maybe I should race pro at this race, like kind of over racing for trophies. And he's like, let's do it. I signed up, made like, like 800 bucks or something that weekend, and I was like, that was kind of like the new fire under my ass. I was like, I'm, I'm into this. <laughs> First national was in Big Bear. Ended up getting fifth in the downhill. I was pumped because I beat out Johnny T. First race, squeaked out Johnny T by a few tenths of a second or something. You know, I mean, when I first started racing mountain bikes, we didn't even have disc brakes. Suspension was kind of like just starting to happen. Um, bikes just kept getting more, more travel. Tires kept getting better. Every year, it was just like progress, 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 progress. This episode is brought to you by Yamaha and the all-new 2024 YZ250F. It's no secret that I've been a big fan of this 250F. Where would you go right now if you want to win a lights championship? Star Yamaha. And in 2024, Yamaha has migrated their latest chassis platform to the quarter leader king. With the new chassis designed to flex in the right areas that allow for maximum feel through the turns without sacrificing stability. There's also an all-new Ergos package designed at slimming down the bike and updates to the rider triangle to improve rider comfort. The Yamaha still has that same exciting engine package that has become a modern icon in the 250 class, rocketing star racing to the lion's share of the last decade's titles. Combine this with Yamaha's Bluetooth connectivity for easy mapping and engine monitoring, and you have one of the best production 250s on the market today. To learn more, head to yamahamotorsports.com or click the link in the description below. What is up, Gypsy Gang? And joining me on the podcast today is legendary mountain bike rider Brian Lopes. Lopes was the king of the four cross and dual slalom world when I was a young mountain bike racer, and he was the epitome of competitiveness and cool. In this episode of the podcast, we talk about his early days racing BMX in SoCal's with guys like Jeremy McGrath, his transition into mountain biking, pioneering in the industry, the sponsors in the 90s, its transition to e-bikes and pedal assist, his time training the Troy Lee Designs team, and much more. Lopes is one of the goats of the mountain bike world, and it is unreal to get his voice here on Gypsy Tales. Now, before we get into this episode, though, I wanted to let you guys know that the Gypsy 500 in Mesquite, Nevada is officially sold out, but if you did miss out on entering the race, we are extending the event to include some activities on Friday. We will be doing a Gypsy 50 race which will be a 50-lap pit bike race that you are able to enter. And we are also doing a live podcast right after. So the Gypsy 50 is basically a custom-built mile-long mini bike track, and it's 50 laps of that bad boy. As well as this, uh, the Red Bull crew will be bringing the entertainment, and we will be starting the weekend off right that night. 
So even if you aren't racing, come and add to the fun. For more information, head to verbmodo.com slash gypsy500. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by AG1. I want to give a big personal thank you for the help in getting me to the start line at Glen Helen for the World Vets. It was a real bucket list thing for me and I spent all of 2023 training for it. I may have skipped a couple of runs and had a few off days at the track, but one thing I didn't skip all year was a morning started with AG1. Consistency is everything in health and fitness and one scoop of AG1 with water first thing in the morning, every morning played a massive role in getting me on the start line. I feel more energized, I have better digestion and I have a higher sense of general well-being as a result. That's because every scoop includes things such as B vitamins for energy support, probiotics for gut support and vitamin C and zinc for immune support. And while all of these attributes make AG1 a real no-brainer, you can try it and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gypsytales and keep an eye out for our World Vets content dropping here on our YouTube channel soon. Now, traditionally, gloves made by gear brands can be a bit of an afterthought and not the most comfortable, which is why a lot of you mountain bike riders don't ride with any gloves at all. But before you swear off gloves forever, I would love for you to head to fisthandwear.com and order yourself a pair of fist gloves. I've been wearing the one glove brand for over 10 years and I don't see myself switching anytime soon. Fist main product is their glove, which means all of the R&D and team rider feedback goes into sculpting the nicest pair of gloves money can buy. I personally run the Stocker. Uh, if it's kind of like a little bit cooler and then the breezer in the summer and I can say that these are the most reliable and comfortable gloves on the market. You can try a pair for yourself for 15% off by using the code gypsygang at fisthandwear.com. Today's episode is also proudly brought to you by a longtime partner and product that has been my trusty sidekick for years, Crush Oz, the ultimate solution for keeping your mountain bike in top-notch shape after those epic rides. Crush Oz is a proudly Aussie company that is by riders for riders and their specialized formula are like a secret weapon against the wear and tear of intense rides. They know bikes inside and out, creating products that make cleaning a breeze and you'll leave your ride looking brand new. Whether it's mud, dust or grime from those rough rides, Crush Oz has got you covered. Their products are gentle on your bike's finish but tough on the dirt that comes home with you post-ride. So here's the deal. If you are serious about keeping your bike in top shape, head over to crushoz.com. Trust me, after years of riding and trusting Crush Oz, I can confidently say that they are the go-to for any rider serious about keeping their rig pristine. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton, Australia. If you are an Aussie and you're in the market for a new or used car, head to tropicalauto.com.au and ask for Kyle. He's been taking care of me and countless members of the Gypsy Gang, and he will take care of you too. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy this episode with Brian Lopes. Gypsy. 
yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like mountain biking, you know, it's like, if you're not, <clears throat> if you're not there every year, you know, I went back to the World Cups this year, and I was like, man, I don't even know half these people here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I feel like that, I even feel like that with bike brands, Yeah, you know, there was a Everyone, Brian Lopes in the studio, legend of mountain biking and uh, SoCal resident, made it to the studio, so welcome, mate. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, I was actually literally saying to Tiny Seagrave yesterday that I could, I was so in the mountain biking kind of world when, like in your prime especially, you know, like that's my era. Yeah. And now I like just couldn't, there'd be 50 bike companies I just couldn't even recognize. Right. Which is crazy to think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's always changing, right? Like, all the time. Well, we'll see how many bike companies survive after this year. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've, it's been pretty wild watching just literally the last couple months. Like, yeah. even, like, Cam Zink did the podcast, and then by the time from recording to releasing it, he literally lost his bike company sponsor, and he just won Rampage. Like, he's one of the biggest names in in the sport and it's just gone like crazy same with kyle, kyle yeah Strait. kyle straight and that same thing happened yeah 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 i mean there's there's a lot of good riders out there that have lost bike sponsors um jill and Bryn atkinson i know yeah, lost yeah. theirs but yeah i mean it's it's definitely a rough time and we'll see who survives it but um yeah i feel bad for those guys especially you know their biggest event of the year yeah and those companies couldn't have told them like before maybe <laughs> well yeah i mean it's kind of sketchy i mean ugh, what do you do there though like because you could play that both ways right so yeah. like as a sponsor you go ah oh, let's not like you know mess with his head before the biggest event of the year you know yeah but then on the flip side when the guy wins and then you dump him like a couple of weeks later. That's also a pretty bad look as well. So I don't know. Like there's two moral ways to look at it. Totally. But I, I mean, I don't know the details about those guys' brands and, you know, where they're at now. But, I mean, what did it really do for that, for that brand, right? If, exactly. If they're folding anyways. Yeah. That's so true. And, I mean – it could be well have you ever seen anything like this in the bike industry like you've been around a long time i have been around a long time um yeah back in 2001 i believe it was or 2002 i i, <clears throat> I got on gt after i, I raced, raced for volvo cannondale then i i went to gt but it was kind of like the beginning for me where i wasn't I wasn't actually on the GT team, yeah. but I was sponsored by GT for frames. It was kind of like the beginning where I started getting all my own, kind of putting my own team, I guess, together. But it was just me. Yeah. Um, but putting all my own sponsors together. But I rode a GT bike. I actually used the GT mechanics and kind of traveled with the factory GT team. What sponsors did you have on the bike at the time? Um, I had... Like, and you had some big off, like, outside industry sponsors with that uh, when you were doing your own team, or? No. It was nah, all in, like, yeah. mostly inside? Yeah. Um, I had Fox Clothing. Yeah. Um, Bell Helmets. Uh, Oakley. Uh, Fox Shocks. Max's Tires. I don't know. You know, there, yeah, was, I, there, was, a, there was a bunch back I then. I remember it just looking so good. Like when you went, made that switch to GT and yeah, Fox, Oakley, Bell, like yeah. that, it all looks so clean. Yeah. 
yeah, that that was that was a good time. I mean, um, you know, Fox was an awesome company to have as a, as a gear sponsor back then for sure. Pro- probably one of the best back in the day. Um, but yeah, during during that time, I can't remember if it was the first or second or third year. I rode GTs for about seven years, but at one point, uh, Steve Pete was on the team yeah. and he was kind of like my roommate when we would travel and stuff. And GT went bankrupt. They filed Chapter 11, and you know everybody on the team didn't get paid the last few months well, of, yeah. of their salary, um, and, and me included. But thankfully for me, that was just like a portion. I don't remember exactly 40 50% of my overall kind of money that I was bringing in from all my sponsors, whereas like for Petey... That it was, was everything. It was, yeah, probably 90%. You know, yeah. he might have had a few of his own small individual sponsors, but that was his main thing. And so, yeah, that was that was definitely a time I remember where... Uh, but it, was it industry-wide or was it just GT at the time? It was just GT that that folded. And I don't remember exactly yeah. why, but yeah. Yeah, so I guess it, it has happened in the in the industry before. But this, this time around, it's like crazy. It seems like it's almost industry-wide in a sense you know like you, I, it seems like you've got the kind of legacy brands that fairly like independent but from what i've gathered from like just kind of reading stuff online and and trying to listen to certain people talk about it it, it seems like it's all these investment groups that came in off the back of like covid and the companies making a, a bunch of cash in covid and then they just start making these like year on year projections based off the investment companies. And no one in the black companies was like, uh, probably won't keep growing 40% year on year. And then right. it's like, so I take it that's what's happened. And basically, like they've just kind of they've pulled their money out and been like, okay, we're not doing it. And then that leaves the companies folded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's slightly different for each one of them, right? Um, but I mean, I know across the board, you know, most of the brands are are not doing great, right? Yeah. I think uh, the strong are going to survive, um, but there's definitely a few of those big, big brands out there that are are kind of, um, you know, making this tidal wave happen too with big sales mm. and stuff like that, right? Like, um, you know, when certain huge brands are just like discounting everything at 30, 40% off, right? Like the little brands, they kind of got to do it too, but Mm. then can they really survive, you know, if they're discounting everything at those huge margins? Um, Because, you know, who's going to go buy buy a little small boutique brand? For seven when you can get something else awesome for three and a half or whatever. Yeah. 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 No. And did you see a massive uptake of mountain biking on the trails? in california through that COVID time like you could really tell it started off it was awesome at the beginning it was awesome (laughs) because uh you know where i live in laguna there's there's really like only a handful of parking parking lots um like if people are driving in from town right to park i mean you can park you know in town and ride your bike into an entrance or um you know in a neighborhood or something but there's really only like a handful of legit legal parking areas yeah well i live about i don't know a quarter mile from the dirt 
and we, you know, we have our own little entrances through some neighborhoods. So it, it was kind of weird because I think the trails were not closed, but the parking areas were closed. Uh. So, uh, there just wasn't a lot of people out there. It was awesome. Like I'd go ride all the time, you know, and like everybody's like hunkered in their house or, uh, you know, not going outside. And I'm like, this is awesome. I got the whole park to myself, you know, or obviously a handful of us out there, but yeah, it's good. And then it changed at some point. Well, yeah. Then, it, you know, eventually obviously started opening up and more and more people for sure. I mean, it was, it, I mean, it was awesome in, in a lot of ways, just having that many people out there you know, experiencing the outdoors and bikes or hiking or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And I mean, that was obviously part of the big yeah. boom, right? As yeah. more and more people were like, Hey, we can go, we can't go to the movies maybe, but we can go ride our bikes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just interesting that you can see it. Like you can actually see the groundswell of people like, happening in real time. Like you've been on those trails for 20 years i'm guessing maybe more yeah so i was like you've seen everything that those trails have seen yeah so for you to actually be able to see the impact and the kind of like groundswell of people that yeah. you know went to mountain biking it's wild to think that you could actually see a change yeah yeah for sure i mean there's tons of people out there but you know eventually that that slowed down and you know people are Back to work. Back on their it. Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back on their Xbox or whatever they're on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, during those times, too, like, because, you know, the whole industry was crazy, right? COVID happened. All these companies, like, put the brakes on ordering stuff and making new things because they didn't know what was going to happen. And then, obviously, whatever, three, four, five months later, everybody's like, holy shit, like, we got to go full gas. And, yeah. that, and now, now everybody's ordering everything. So they're already kind of behind. And and then, um, you know, then obviously people couldn't get stuff. All the price, if you did have stuff to sell, you know, bikes were through the roof and the used market was through the roof. Yeah. I, mean, I, I sold some some bikes that I had just laying around. I was like, I'm going to get rid of this shit, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm not in. attached to anything, uh, you know. <laughs> So, but, but now it's completely opposite, right? Just like the market is the used and the new market is crap. Yeah. 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 No, crazy time. And it's a very interesting time to have like Yamaha, Gas Gas, Husky, like Ducati. It's, it's very strange now that you've got big motorcycle manufacturers that are seeing the value in, in that market. And it, it'll be interesting how it plays out but it might add a bit of stability yeah you know because the yamaha makes pianos and boats and <laughs> like guitars they do literally everything yeah so it's like that's a very stable company so it's like i wonder if these new motorcycle oems coming into the industry might kind of like stabilize everything a little bit yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see i mean like you said yamaha's is a massive brand. I mean, really, the bicycle division yeah. in the big picture is is really small for Yamaha. Um, but Yamaha was a lot of people don't know, but Yamaha was the first brand to actually make a pedal assist bicycle. Really? Yeah, back in 1993. So they're celebrating their 30 year anniversary of wow. Yeah, electric assist pedal assist bicycles. Um, so that, that's kind of an interesting fact that a lot of people don't know yeah um this year i got to go to japan to do some testing on some new stuff we're working on and um 
got to see some of those old bikes in the in the Yamaha museum. It was it's pretty cool. Yeah, I actually had no idea. Yeah. Where have you landed on the e-bike thing from day one? Like, were you ever skeptical about it? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I'm good friends with Troy Lee, and Troy Lee was on the on the bandwagon right, oh, right from the he? beginning. My yeah. man, my man. Yeah, Troy was on it right from the beginning, and he was like doing these e-bike races. Um, he was calling them the electric boogaloos. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and they were these. You know they were they were laps right like almost like motocross um, style jumps and stuff um, and he was always trying to get me to, to go do them and at that time the bike sponsor I had didn't have an e-bike so I was like oh, I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna do it um, but eventually you know I saw this segment just like growing and growing and growing and I was like it kind of opened my eyes one year I went to Eurobike and I was talking to a bunch of brands uh, about next year, and they were like, "Yeah, if you're into if you're into doing something with us with e-bikes, you know, we'd be interested." And that really kind of like opened uh, my eyes. Like, all right, I'm not getting I'm not getting younger, right? I'm not going to be winning world championships anymore. You know, what's the next direction I need to start looking at um, for my future? Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of really when I started, you know being more open open to e-bikes and yeah. uh, not that I hadn't ridden some before but I wasn't um, super into it yeah it's funny I've all I'm like Troy the day an e-bike came out I'm like bang get me on that thing like I've always looked at it as I do this for the downhill sections yeah so and they still challenge you and it's still a workout so yeah. I was like how about I just do Instead of two downhills in a day, I'm going to do six or seven. And I'm like, I'm just, and Glenn used to always say, it's just behind bars, just got to get behind bars. And it's just more time behind bars, more time behind bars going down the hill, which is what I was there for. And man, I was just in from from basically day one. <laughs> so to hear that Troy was too, I'm like, all right, my man. Yeah. But there was people like, you were so good at riding. Like you... I'm sure just you normally is what it would feel like for me being on an e-bike <laughs> at times, you know, like there's such a big skill and fitness gap and just like a base of pedaling over years and years. Yeah. And I think I always just saw it as like this for plebs like me, <laughs> this just opens up the hill, you know? Well, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions around, around e-bikes. I mean, from everything from, you know, other oh, cheater bikes to, oh, uh, you know, you don't get a workout to, um, you know, you can go whatever, 21, 20 miles an hour up any hill um, to, you know, these other, uh, I don't know, Surons and these kind yeah. of things that people that don't really know what pedal assist or e-bikes mm. are, you know, they kind of classify those into... Yeah. that category and so i think there's still a lot of education that needs to be done with the general public um with what pedal assist bikes are and yeah. and um and, and what you can get out of them i mean whether it's from a recreation standpoint from a fun standpoint or or from a training standpoint really there's yeah. uh, there is a lot of benefits to them and uh uh you can you can obviously be a bit lazy and and ride them and have a lot of fun, or if you want to get a workout, or if you're gonna go do a race. Like I do some of these races, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, racing an e-bike is actually harder than racing a regular oh, bike. Oh, for real? Yeah, way it's way harder because 
well, the bike is supposed to be a class one e-bike. <clears throat> and I don't know if you know what class one is, no. but it's basically, so there's technically there's three classes of e-bikes, of pedal assist bikes. There's class one, class two, and class three. Class one is pedal assist up to 20 miles an hour. Yeah. Class three is pedal assist up to um, 27 miles an hour. And class two is pedal assist and or throttle up to 20 miles an hour. Uh. So those are kind of the three like legal um, classes of, of bicycles, e-bikes in the U.S. at least. Um, some of those numbers, I think, change in Europe. I know yeah, class okay. one is a little bit lower. I think they go 20 kilometers an hour. Okay. So, but... Um, yeah, Surons and Super 73s and, you know, some of these other things out there, they're... they're Well, they're kind of like just an electric motorbike. Yes, you exactly. Know? So, yeah, I think yeah, saying pedal assist is probably better than saying e-bike because the e-bike's kind of like a, black, a blanket category of electric bikes. Right. So, so yeah, I guess you're talking about the, the pedal assist, like mountain bike versions right. of it. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah, so going back to that and like uh, how how difficult they can be to ride if you want them. I mean, there's again misconceptions. Class one is basically what people race. Yeah. Um, UCI even has like a world championship for e biking now. Um, but they assist you up to twenty miles an hour. That doesn't mean you can ride. Yeah. You know, up any hill at twenty miles an hour. It it. I guess, you know, coming from the motorcycle world, it'd be like, you know, if you get on a, a YZ80 and some little, you know, 10-year-old gets on a YZ80, yeah. like, he's going to smoke you. Yeah. Just because he can go up the hill at 40 doesn't mean you're going to go up that same hill at 40, right? Yeah. 100%. It only has so much power. It's just little motorcycle, basically, right? And the, yeah. With the e-bike, it's only got so much power. Well, I think the better, like, a good way to describe it maybe is, like, it's more of a flat ground. It'll assist you on or like being on flat ground is a better way to, to feel it, I guess, because yeah, you just can't, it's not like it's got enough power to get you to 20 up a hill. It's basically like that's where the pedal assist is going to not work essentially. Right. Well, it'll, it'll work on a hill too, but again, kind of going back to, you know, the motorcycle analogy um, is, if you're on a YZ80 and you're in fifth gear, yeah, you know, like trying to go up a, a steep hill, like it's just going to bog out and it's not going to do anything for you, right? Yeah. Like you got to be in whatever, first gear. Yeah. And it's the same on a bike, right? Like it, it has power, but it only has so much power and you really got to be in the right gear to have that power. If you can overpower an e-bike. Yeah. So like there's a little bit of learning curve if you want to try to get the most out of an e-bike i love doing technical climbs on my e-bike. yeah that's hard that's hard like there's a skill just in that yeah there's a skill in it and there's like a finesse too of of being in the right gear not putting too much power into your pedal strokes but obviously being in the yeah, right gear because yeah. you want the motor to be helping you and if you and if in your head, like you might see this super steep section with like maybe a rock, like, ah. and you're like, "Oh fuck, I gotta like get on it to get <laughs> yeah, up that," because yeah. that's how you would do it on an on a regular, you know, non e bike. Uh, and if you do that on an e bike, the motor will just cut out because you're overpowering the motor. Yeah, yeah. So, 
And so when you get in that race situation, it makes it just as hard slash harder than a than an acoustic bike. It does because I mean the bikes are a lot heavier typically, mm. um, and you know for if you and I were racing, uh, for me to if we were climbing a hill, for me to whatever I, I don't know your fitness, but like let's just say we're going up a, a ten minute hill, I might be able to put two minutes on you on a ten minute climb or three minutes on you. Yeah. Whereas on an e bike, yeah, whether you're in shape or not, and whether I'm in shape or not. Like I'll probably still beat you up the hill, but I'm not going to put two or three minutes on you. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the great equalizer. It brings everybody closer together, so it's really hard to to put distance on people. I mean, obviously, like on the downhills when it gets more technical, yeah, that's where you, you know make skills. Your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's true in what you say about that. Like when I first got my dad an e bike, like years ago when me and my brother were still doing a bunch of my brother still does a fair bit of pedaling nowadays um but we got dad a bike and he's 50 or 60 now and he could instantly just keep up with all of us on our rides and we'd just go with all the boys and their rides that he would never want to do and all of a sudden it's not only that he wanted to do them it's that he could do them and then keep up with everyone you know exactly. and he gets to talk the whole time and it's he's just not his ass isn't hanging out and his tongue's not in the chain and that to me i think is one of like the coolest benefits of it and then i think as well it opens up the more adventure lane you know there's been have you been to derby yet in tassie no okay i've seen a lot of photos that has to be something that is yeah. on your bucket list you got to go there with glenn and hans yeah like it would be so sick but uh they've got this ride called atlas and it goes i can't remember the i can't remember the exact distance i think at the end of the ride we did 50ks basically but it's it's a point to point kind of ride you get shuttled way out and then you've just got you climb up and down these ridge lines like all through the rainforest and i mean it's a few hours you you stop at a pub you have lunch and then you do like a big climb and like another and that you just do as a group like there's not very often you could do a 50k ride with all varying skill levels and speeds and then actually you stay in a group and it is like a kind of an adventure yeah type of ride you know and i think just that segment of riding whether it's two wheels uh, or whether it's like motors or, or bikes or anything, I think that whole adventure segment of riding is just now getting so popular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing you got to worry about on stuff like that with, with the pedal assist bike is, you know, your battery life. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. When I go do a ride where it's going to be far or I've never done it before, you know, I'm always like, okay, kind of monitoring my battery, right? Like what level... You know, because uh, like on the on the Yamaha e-bikes um, or mountain bikes, we have got like five or six different modes, right? And so they yeah, all have right. like different power assist. Um, the the Yamaha has a different tuning on different levels. So like a couple of the levels actually produce the same amount of power, but it's just kind of how that power delivered. is delivered. Huh, okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I know like I saw you just riding the Yamaha. You know, out of Glen oh, Helen, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I know they have a full yep. tuning app, you yep. know, for their motorcycles. So, um, not that there's a lot of tuning you can do uh, on an app with with the Yamaha e-bike, but they're kind of built in in the yeah. same kind of capacity. Yeah, that's sick. What else does is there any other like are any of the 
what's next for e-bikes do you think do you think that or pedal assist like do you think that they'll start doing like clutches or any that sort of like any features when it comes to that like or is it the technology like they'll probably keep it just where it's at um i don't know about clutches because i don't you know because you have to pedal yeah um so you're kind of i mean maybe pedaling is kind of how you clutch a bike a little bit right you're kind of yeah. monitoring how much force you're putting into it yeah. um but i don't know may- maybe we'll get away from gears and go to some sort of transmission that'd be cool um you know it's been long overdue but at some point we're gonna have to get rid of a derailleur and <laughs> yeah, <I> know, <laughs> yeah. isn't it crazy how long that thing's been around <laughs> yeah um but i think you know just like with the electric car market and now motorcycle market um the technology with with the batteries and the motors is like changing so rapidly right like batteries are heavy yeah <clears throat> um so yamaha is real big on efficiency too like we on our current e-bikes our battery is still probably on the smaller side compared to a, a lot of companies and kind of where they're going but they're real big into the efficiency thing and, and how they program Yamaha is the only one that makes a bike, makes the electronics, makes the motor. Yeah, you know, right. <clears throat> everybody else is is piecing it together with their own things, right? They're they don't make a motor, so they're you know yeah they're yeah. getting whatever motor they want and, and building the bike around that motor. Yeah, and then you know maybe taking those electronics or maybe building their own electronics or getting that battery, you know, so. <clears throat> Yeah, that that is pretty cool then. Yeah, all right. I'm keen. I need to ride one now. <laughs> We're gonna ride. I know. Yeah, I've just been trying to get the just been trying to get the time to do it. I know. Like, I'm not gonna let you off the hook. No, no. I'm I'm keen. Do you ride much with Hans up there? Um, a little he, bit. He's never around though, right? Um, no, he's around. Yeah, he, I mean, he kind of comes yeah. and goes, but um, yeah, we ride. I mean, main, mainly ride e-bikes yep. these days. Uh, when I ride with Hans, yeah. And, and so, what's the split these days of e-bike versus mm. acoustic bikes? Man, I mean, it's hard to say, but the, there's definitely more and more e-bikes out there. Yeah. Right. Like you just you can get more more laps in, right? Like yeah. on the e-bike than you can on a regular bike. Um, but we do a Wednesday night ride um, group in Laguna, and I would say it's it's probably on a regular. It's probably seventy five percent e bikes. No way. And what about you personally? How much? Did, like, what's your split? Um, you know, for me, I would say it it, it kind of really depends, like who I'm riding with and what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, maybe overall, I'm I'm riding. Uh, a regular bike a little bit more than an e-bike mainly because i train some kids and and we do a lot of uh, riding on regular bikes but we also put in the e-bike for some training too just because it's it's good for a recovery day like yeah back in my day when i was training i would come home for races i'd do little spins up and down the coast that was kind of my recovery day right try to try to yeah. find the flattest yeah ground which is along pch here um but nowadays, I mean, it's it's pretty nice. You can get on an e-bike, and in Laguna, the climbs are really steep, and um, it doesn't matter how easy you're going. It's still, you know, can be a fairly uh, hard effort going up any hill. Yeah. Um, so now with e-bikes, you know, it's like you can put it in, uh, you know, a high power mode and 
pedal up and not not you know have to work too hard and then still have fun on the downhills versus just cruising along yeah ECH and having to worry about getting hit by a car yeah yeah <laughs> well and then you kind of like it, it it's always skills based too yeah you know you kind of you could just literally use that for people that are serious about their riding you know you're almost using that as like drilling time where you're practicing certain things on like descents and yeah as opposed to just mindlessly you know doing yeah. doing the ride yeah, I mean, yeah, you can do that for sure. I think, um, you know, like like anything, if you get to the highest level, it's uh, the bikes are quite different, right? Like I always, yeah, um, I used to hang out with a um, MotoGP rider named Alex Hoffman. Yeah, he's a German rider, and uh, he does like all the announcing for for German um, TV and Austria and Germany and stuff, and still rides like KTM testing and stuff but anyways i i used i used to laugh like and i and i'm pretty sure it's still like this with all those guys they never ride street bikes right no, unless they're never. like at the track testing a moto gp bike and i'm like why don't you have like a street bike like you can't go to the local you know track and do some track and he's like it's just not it's so far different that it doesn't really do much for you yeah a lot of those <laughs> guys just ride motocross yeah or like dirt track stuff yeah that's kind of the main the main thing that they'll do, but yeah. So you think that that pretty much applies in, in the same with well, a little a bit, right? I I think it depends what discipline you're into, but um, you know the bikes are quite a bit heavier, right? So if you're, I don't know, if you're a downhill racer, um, you know you're riding a bike that's probably thirty five ish pounds nowadays and has you know eight to nine inches of travel front and back and you know, these crazy slack head angles and things like that. Whereas most of the e-bikes are not right like that, right? They're, they're 50 plus pounds. They're, you know, six or seven inches of travel. They're made for going up and down, you know? So, um, I mean, not to say it can't help, it, it can, but it's, it's I think at the top level, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's a, like, it's, it's quite different. Yeah. And so how much riding are you doing these days in general? Like it's pretty sick that to be like your age and just still fully in and able to like your career is still going, like not necessarily in a competitive sense anymore in terms of like UCI four cross titles and like yeah. that level, but you're still so active in the sport and it's still like your job essentially, which is I think one of the coolest things about mountain biking if you do it right. Yeah. No. Uh, well, thank you, first of all. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I just, I mean, I just love riding bicycles. So yeah. um, I'll always ride bikes, whether it's my job or not. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I don't know. I've uh, just been fortunate enough to, to keep it going. And I know, you know, with at least with the racing side of, of motocross, it kind of seems like, I mean, there's a few guys that are, are kind of able to keep it going after, you know, obviously guys like Carmichael and stuff are, and McGrath are having no problem at it. But, um, you know, there's other guys like, you know, I'm good friends with Cole Seely, And, you yeah. know, when he stopped and he's just like kind of trying to find his feet, you know, yeah. what, what to do next and stuff like that. So um, I think mountain biking, it seems like there's a bit more opportunity after your yeah. race career to kind of keep things going. Um, the motorcycle world, right? There's only, I don't know, 
obviously it's growing now a bit, but maybe eight to ten manufacturers. manufacturers. Yeah. Yeah. We have hundreds. Yeah. That's so true. eh? Yeah. And you got like, I don't know, it just seems like you're able to stay relevant in a way. You know, like it's just that people, I don't know, it's it's definitely a weird one to think about and explain because I love Cole. Like he's a good friend of mine as well. Epic dude. He still has so much to offer to the industry and he has so much like ability on a motorcycle and there's so much that he can provide but it just yeah it doesn't seem like there's just really natural fits to stay riding and to essentially like stay employed whereas yeah a guy like you even Hans like look at you know he's bloody Glenn I mean he's different in the sense that you know he's building trails but again it's just like a he can spend a lifetime in mountain biking in that way yeah yeah I mean Cole when when he was racing uh you know obviously I was hanging out with him a lot training him and stuff and he he uh he was always tinkering with things like you know whether it was like uh these you know um he was all into leather making like leather wallets for a while he's into music he's into uh, like doing these you know 3d printing you know stuff like he's he's pretty pretty talented in a lot of different areas and um i know a lot lately because um i've been talking to him a lot more recently he's been uh he, he got like um little engineering CAD degree and he's been doing a lot of like, well, you know, yeah, he's been on the computer designing stuff and he's been doing some bike stuff. So we've been bouncing ideas off and that's I've, been, awesome. I've been trying some of his little prototype things here and there. So yeah, it's cool. I, I hope he, uh, I hope he, you know, finds something that he really loves and is, is successful at it because he's uh, he's, a, he's a cool guy. He is a really cool guy. And did you think that your career would last the way that it did? Like when you, because you were like the top level, top racer, dude. Like you were at the very peak of the sport, you know. And so, and when you're that guy, you don't necessarily spend much time thinking about retirement, I'm guessing, because you're so like in the thick of it. Yeah. And then you probably just thought that once you stop winning, like that would be it. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I didn't really have... Uh, uh, a plan when I when I was racing. I mean, you know, I just raced bikes because I loved it, and yeah, it was just fun, right? And eventually, I mean, my my career started off racing BMX yeah. uh, since I was like four, and um, yeah, I just kind of grew up racing BMX and raced. Me and Jeremy used to race yeah, each other. Yeah. I know Jeremy was on here, and uh, Jeremy's been a, a great friend since we were little, racing BMX together. And eventually I just, uh, I got, I got to a point where I was at a race with my parents and I was like, kind of getting a little burnt out. And I was like, dad, maybe I should race pro at this race, like kind of over racing for trophies. And he's like, let's do it. Let's. And so back then, you know, it was just like, that's what you did. So I, I signed up. Um, so you just signed up as pro. So there yeah. was just like two classes and then there was one that you never signed up. Yeah. So there's like, age oh. group. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I always raced expert age group, but then there was a pro and double a pro. Yes. This is BMX. BMX. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, uh, back then you had to make like a certain amount of money in a pro before you could go to double a. Uh. So anyways, I, I signed up 17 and a half pro made like, I don't remember exactly like 800 bucks or something that weekend. And I was like, yeah. that's solid and uh that was 
that was kind of like the new fire under my ass. I was like, this is, I'm, I'm into this. Like, <laughs> making some money. And uh, yeah, so started racing pro and making some money and, uh, you know, graduated high school, started going to junior college, doing that for um, a few years, got, got my AA from a junior college, was like planning to transfer to like a Cal State. Um, at that time, I, I What'd was- What you want to do? You know, it's kind of funny that we're here, but um, I used to take like some radio classes, oh, at, well. like with the with the local radio station. Uh, yeah, I was. Um, so the communication part I, I liked, uh, but I, you know, I didn't know I was still young. Yeah, yeah. But um, I raced for Mongoose on on the BMX side of things. Yeah, they had a mountain bike team, and uh, there's some some great mountain bikers that came from BMX that were becoming really successful, and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should give us a try and that was kind of the start of it i went to a couple mountain bike races and uh, smashed them and you're like yeah. sweet easy money yeah <laughs> like uh the first so I, I raced a couple just amateur races and then so 1993 was my first year racing pro on mountain bikes first um national was in big bear which is yep. you know two yep. hours from here and um ended up getting uh fifth in the downhill at that race and I remember I was, I was pumped because I beat out Johnny T oh. uh, for like the last, you know, and yeah. mountain bikes, there's five guys on the podium and, and he was six at the race. So oh, I was like, so oh yeah, my first race squeaked out Johnny T by a few tenths of a second or something. And, uh, and then went to the next, uh, Norba national and I won the downhill and I was like, oh, it's on. And like, yeah, just kind of ramped up from there. Dude, that's so cool. So there's a lot to unpack there. But yeah. what what was uh, what was it like racing Jeremy as a kid? Like, did you, you know, when you know someone when they're young, and then you see what they accomplished in their life, when you look back, does it make sense? Um, not to the degree that he that he got to. Probably not. I mean, Jeremy was he was great on a BMX bike too, but he wasn't like you know, crazy, just smashing people, winning everything like he did in Supercross. No. Um, but, uh, you know, we were young. I think, I don't remember exactly what age, you know, he got out of BMX, but it was probably 13 or 14, somewhere right around there. Because I remember going to his house to, to ride motorcycles. Like, um, he had the track, you know, at his parents' yeah, house yeah. on the freeway and uh, going there, you know, a couple years into his his career and he, you know he was way better than us then on a motorcycle he was riding every day but uh yeah i mean to see where where he he took that was i mean it was awesome i'm yeah super proud of him and everything he's accomplished and uh yeah to just have that that lifelong friendship i've had with him yeah yeah it's crazy when you when you do know someone for so long yeah and yeah like you see but some people it just makes sense where you're like even you know like the showtime thing where it's like oh he was always like that and you know yeah. you can kind of see their personality play out on on that kind of scale you know but it's amazing what bmx did for his foundations and then cole seeley is another guy that grew up racing a lot of bmx and riding a lot of yeah. bmx and like hayden deegan spent a lot of time riding bmx it's yeah. kind of it's not a secret no. you know there's so many guys that that made it in that yeah. or like had a foundation in that that did super well when it came to super yeah. yeah i mean you know i listened to 
to the podcast you did with Jeremy. And I mean, uh, if you if you asked me all those same questions you asked Jeremy, my answers probably would have been almost identical really? to everything Jeremy said. I mean, he's uh, he's awesome, but I you know I know he said in that in that podcast you know like on a BMX bike you don't have suspension, you're on twenty inch wheels, like you have to be perfect. You can't yeah. can't OJ shit, you know, on a BMX bike, <laughs> yeah, you know, or or it gets uh, it gets bad real quick. So he you have to be precise, and as you know, he was always way more precise than everybody and. Cole was, you know, may, maybe too precise, right? Cole, yeah. like Cole, Cole was always super smooth, and we we would go to Sheep Hills, which is just yeah, you know, literally right down the street here. I don't know if you've ever been. I've never been there. I want to go at some point. I'd love to so, build. I, I need to. I need to do a bit of mountain bike building in my life. I need to get. I need to get some bikes going. I'd love to get a little dirt jumper for like some pump tracks and stuff I'm, like that. I'm pretty sure Villapoto has one. Like I remember a few years ago, he was like, oh, Lopes, really? I want to build up a, a pump track bike, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he built one up and I don't think he's ever used Never it. Never wrote it. Well, he doesn't ever answer his phone. So good uh, luck trying to get yeah, it. Right. Yeah, good luck trying to get it out of him. We'll but, just go over his house. Yeah, just, yeah just clip it from him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's such a, solid fundamentals in it and it's just been proven in a bunch yeah. of different people yeah yeah i mean it's i mean it's the foundation for everything you know it's funny when you know you i don't know like you're on a, a road ride or even a cross-country ride people that i've gotten into cycling a little bit later in life and they don't have those yeah. fundamentals that you learn yeah. as a kid um i do a lot of um not a lot, but I do skills coaching just like on the side. I, I train a couple of kids like full time. Yeah. But I also, you know, take on random people who just want like a, a day lesson or half day lesson. And, you know, the the number one thing is these people, you know, they're 30, 40 year old person. They only have an hour or two hours, right? They just want to go ride. Yeah. They don't want to like spend you know an hour or two like trying to figure out how to do a wheelie or how to bunny hop up a curve right and that's what we did as kids right yeah. we just came over from school and we're like let's go to the jumps you know spend all day there right like so you figure out and you learn all these like basic fundamentals and it's funny when i go with people who don't have that youth of on a bicycle and they don't know how to bunny hop a curb right you're like you don't know how to bunny hop a curb <laughs> that's day like, one yeah, yeah like dude like i mean that's for me, that's just like safety kind of riding. Right? <laughs> yeah. What happens if you get pinched up a curve? You need to know how to bunny hop it, right? Like, have you seen some crazy wrecks on roadblocks with dudes that just don't have those skills? Yeah, I mean, sometimes they they happen just because just, it's going to be a wreck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just you know people are crossing wheels or you know there's a lot of etiquette when it comes to riding road bikes. But yeah, I've I've seen some some gnarly crashes and uh, man, knock on wood, I, I never. I've never had any big crashes on the road. <laughs> Man, we had this dude where there was a, a few years ago, like I was doing a fair bit of riding, but then we I kind of like moved away from the hill and I was like, yeah, my bike just became a milk run bike after that. Uh, but we were doing a bunch of riding. We, we went down to one of the trails in Noosa, which is like north of the Gold Coast on the Sunshine Coast. And they got awesome trails there. But there's like a – you most of the ride would just be like a, a – tarmac climb and then you'd kind of go down the fingers of the trails and they use it for luging like it's a closed road so there's so many cyclists on oh. it and i hadn't thought about this dude's crash until you said like a lot of people just didn't go out riding bikes because this <laughs> we're on the outside of the road and this dude just comes flying 
down the road and we were like riding three wide kind of thing you can't see any of the corners around and so this guy just comes around we're three wide on but on our side of the lane and he's just fully seen us and just turned right instead of trying to keep going left into this <laughs> cliff and just obliterated himself dude smashed his bike to bits fully shattered his helmet he was fine like he was all right he starts like yelling at us and we're like bro you were never stopping for this corner but it makes sense like he probably just never grew up riding a bike yeah but I mean, I don't. I'm sure you've at some point seen some of these Tour de France crashes. Oh. You know, big stage race. I mean, dude, they're gnarly. There's, you know, and those guys are pretty much naked, right? They're not wearing yeah. anything other than a little little helmet. But and the helmets are tiny, dude. Yeah, they're they're brutal. I mean, especially you know those those final sprint crashes, gnarly. Oh, you know, they're man. going fast, forty something miles an hour. That's it. That sport almost doesn't make sense. Like, what, did you watch the Netflix thing on it? Um, a little bit. Was it yeah, good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, for, especially for like the average person, right? I think it's good, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. It'd probably be pretty interesting, but that's a psycho sport. Yeah. Like the drugs you have to do, the miles you have to like, you just, to sign, like I got a friend, he was on a, he was on like a kind of a B tier Italian cycling team and he literally got on the team but before they, he signed with the team, they were like, okay, so here's the drugs you have to do. Here's the doctors. Like, just fully. What, what year was that? Or oh, he's, I mean, he's my age. So, like, it wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were fully just like, all right, here's the program. Wow. Like, you got to jump on. And he was like, all right, sweet. Yeah, he was like, I, man, it was crazy. Yeah, I thought that, uh, you know, that whole drug era was kind of behind that sport. Um, I don't know. I'm sure, you know, there's always going to be somebody who wants to cheat or, you know, like somebody who's trying to outsmart the system, be ahead of the system, you know, bend the rules, whatever it is. But uh, I know it's it's gotten harder and harder, right? They yeah. try to, they're obviously they're trying to make it clean. So I think, I, I think especially, you know, from back in the, yeah you know, back in the days of Lance days, right? It's definitely a lot cleaner than those days. But you just got to think, how hard it is on the human body like oh, it's God. just it's borderline inhumane yeah. to do it you know and, and even like imagine how hard it would be to do on drugs like right, even right. even if you are doing that it's not making it like yeah. way way easier it's still insanely hard to do so just a crazy sport just to even sign up for it you know yeah i think uh I, you know but i i also think a lot of people it's hard to, it's hard to comprehend something that you're so far, you know, removed from, or, uh, you know, you, you know, look at you on a motorcycle. I don't know how much you ride, but it seems like quite a bit. I mean, if you, if you go line up against Eli Tomac, right, <laughs> you're going to be like, oh. I'm not even, I'm just not doing yeah. it. Yeah. Whereas like, if you, if you had never, like lined up against him or actually seen it in person or been on a track with him, you know. You'd look at it and be like, yeah. Yeah, you'd like, oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's fast, but it wouldn't be like that fast, right? Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. you see him fly by you and you're like, or, you know, you're on the track and you're like, he passes you and he's gone and you're just like, holy shit. Like, and that's the reality of it. That's so, the reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the reality with, because I get it 
with people that I ride with, right? Like random people will just be like, oh, you're, you're fit, you're strong, you know? And I didn't, I didn't specialize in going uphill or, yeah. you know, having endurance fitness. That wasn't my specialty, but I'm pretty decent at it because I do it a lot. Well, you just have a lifetime of base. Yeah. You and know? I have a, I have a big base, but you know, those people don't really have a reality of how gnarly the top, top, top guys are, you know, like the Nino Schitzer of the world, um, you know, Vanderpool, Pickock, those guys are ridiculous how fit and strong they are. And um, unless you, you know, get to witness that firsthand, it's, you know, you just think the guy that's twice as fast as you is the yeah, gnarliest yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw a guy, I, I'm, I'm not very knowledgeable in the cycling world, but there was a big thing went around Instagram where one of the, the big Tour de France guys ran a marathon and it was his first marathon. He never trained for it. He run like some insane time and his splits were great. Like it, it was just like a freak marathon. Yeah. And it really puts into perspective. You just go, wow, like what an actual animal yeah. to do such a crazy good time. Right. No train. No, you're just that elite right. that, that you can go and do something that for like most people never run a marathon in their life. Right. And I think you know some of some of those some of those sports are are a little different because there's I, I'm not saying that there's no skill involved, but it's it's more about the engine than, yes. than the skill, right? Like, yeah. you know, I always try to like uh, portray that to to people whether whether they're downhill mountain biker or a motocross ride, like it. At a certain point, it doesn't matter how strong and how fit you are. If 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 your lap times are ten seconds a lap, I, I don't I don't care how fit you are. You got, you got a lot of other things you need to work on before you get to the fitness part of it. And to bridge that gap, like so for me, like I would be a perfect example of that, right? So like this year, I trained all year to do the World Vets at Glen Helen, and dude, I was nowhere. <laughs> like it was so bad, and. I was, but for me, I did good, you yeah. know, like I was, I was fit enough to do all the motos. Like I, I was definitely got like tired. I wasn't like I was fucking super ready and at my peak, right. but that's like a normal person doing an abnormal amount of riding. And I was running a bunch and like, so in what I could actually physically do while keeping my life together, right. I, I did. Right. And I was fucking nowhere, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and but then if you took that to the next extreme, which would be like, hey, Jace, yeah, you, there you go, all the Yamahas you need, full team bike, you can pit out of the truck, you can have a year to just train and get ready. I would still be nowhere. Right. Like So the, the skill gap that you're talking about in our sport, and I think – well, our sports in terms of like mountain biking or when you're going down the hills, it's just so skill based and it's almost not even skill. Like there's just some like special talent that you've got to go to be able to go that fast. Like the the level in downhill these days is just insane, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't matter what you did to my fitness. I could never be that guy. Yeah. No, and I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm never gonna be you know a cross country racer. It's just it was never in my cards, right? Like, you know. <laughs> so, I think people that want to be you know something, whether it's you know 
a bike racer or a motocross racer or whatever. I think there's, you know, at, at some point you got to just go like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm never going to be at that level. Right. Like, you know, if you're a, if you're running a, a you know, a 15 second hundred meter dash in high school, yeah. you're, you're probably never going to be an <laughs> Olympic sprinter. You know, this is not in your cards, right. You better, you better pick another, uh, you know, discipline of, of, of running, maybe, you know, maybe you need to be a marathon runner or a mid distance runner or something, but you're not going to be a sprinter. Yeah. What, what do you <clears throat> think about the talent that you'd see in like, let's say the top level downhill dudes or top level moto, like you've seen both, like what does a person have that makes them special in the way that you're describing? Um, I, I think there's a, probably a few different things, but like this kid that I train right now, his name's Ryan Pinkerton. He's um, <clears throat> he's 18 years old. 2024 will be the first year that he is in the elite category. He's been in the junior category. I've I've known him and been riding with him since he was like 12. Since he was little, he was fast. Like the first time I ever rode with him, I was like, this kid is fast, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and um, uh, you know, so obviously now he's at the point where going downhill. I mean, he's way faster than than me for sure you know like way faster and when i go when we ride trail bikes together i know all these trails here really well as as does he he lives here but for the most part i can still like keep him inside and and keep pretty close to him except for when it gets really gnarly mm. right like when it gets to the point where it's like if you don't hit that corner or it's like you're threading the needle or it's just there's not a lot of room for error i think that's where he really mm. you know excels from me um i think part of it is you know i don't want to crash um part of it is just i'm not at that comfort level um i don't have the confidence like he has and then i think also it is maybe just the ability to process and read terrain at those speeds yeah yeah and i think that's I'd love to just one day go on like a full neuroscience bender. Just have like an open budget to be like, all right, what's going on in a person's brain if we like really look at this? I don't even know how you'd look at it, but I'm sure and I'm convinced that I have the same feeling of, fuck, I need to hit the brakes as what he does. It's just happening in a real different place. Right. So it's like, what is that? Is it... You know, there's like these muscles in your eyes that stabilize your eyes. And it's like, does, does some people have like this, uh, I guess, a better natural muscle function in those muscles and it keeps your eyes more stable? Like, is there a, a t time perception? You know, right. like there's, there's so many things that could be at play. And uh, I bet there would be a common thread. Like you could test Eli Tomac and then you could test him and like that there, there might be a range that they're in and then maybe I'm under here and maybe you're just on you know so it's like I would love to know the specific categories of what right. what is it because it has to be something in the brain like it has to be something that's going on mentally yeah no I, I would agree with you I think it's you know it's a number of, of little things right that all add up to one I mean it's like when you dissect you know, lap times at motorcycles. It's like, yeah, true. Nah, huh? it's, not, it's 
unless there's a big mistake it's not just one thing right it's like a little bit here a little bit there a little and then y'all add them all up and you're like there's their second yeah yeah no <laughs> that's that's actually quite true as well and it's like you couldn't even it might not even be obvious as like just one thing and it's yeah. like it might be these tiny half percentages that are not even visible to the naked eye because that that has to be the level you look at a lap time between chase sexton and jet lawrence like smx did some pretty cool uh side-by-sides at practice from the smx rounds Mm -hmm. where they had basically the same camera angles like the exact they they top uh i guess started the stopwatch at the exact same time and you could see this split of jet and sexton doing this corner and it looked was like a different line by a little bit the technique was different like jet stood up longer whatever and it was like the exact time yeah you know so you just think about there had to be something different that you know they were doing well there was a lot physically that they were doing differently but then it's like you couldn't even see anything like and then the stopwatch couldn't see anything so it's like how far would you have to go around the track to like visibly even be able to see something yeah yeah i mean motocross and downhill is is so there's they're alike in a lot of ways but they're so different in in so many ways and i think you know like uh qualifying is is more like downhill racing right it's yeah it's just you against the stopwatch and um not necessarily all those lines that they're doing in qualifying are race lines whereas in downhill mountain biking they are right we don't have to worry about somebody insiding and parking us yeah well in downhilling right like in four cross i did but yeah Yeah. but um so like uh, for me and i guess four cross would be closer to to supercross yeah um i mean i i could specifically remember a couple races where i i took different lines and rhythms and stuff and qualifying than i ever would think about doing in the race just because you know nobody's going to go around the outside of me in this turn like i just knew it wasn't going to happen right so but i could take that for for qualifying maybe it would get me through the next rhythm section better yeah 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 so you you then you you go from bmx into mountain biking and you kind of just hit the timing right for your skill set because what so what year was the first four cross well the sport kind of changed a little bit right like it went at the beginning it was i raced downhill and dual slalom Mm. and then um the uci dual slalom wasn't like a a rainbow you know world championship event at at the beginning like like a pre pre event pre-race kind of like it was like a fit part of the whole thing yeah they had it at at the world championships but it wasn't they didn't give it a a, Uh. a rainbow jersey like a gold medal um and then so eventually the uci did make it a world championship event but they changed it they didn't call it dual slalom they they called it dual and and the difference was dual slalom separate separate courses you know you swap sides it's a time differential thing yeah um and you know excuse me the um the winner was obviously the guy with the, the fastest overall time. It was a little bit hard for people to understand. Yeah. Right. Kind of, kind of like straight rhythm, right? Like people are like, wait, he won the first one. Wait, he lost the second yeah, one. But, yeah. but he's, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of understand a little bit more. So they just, they went to a duel, which was just two guys started on like, you know, your own gate, but then it just became one course. And yeah. the first guy to cross the line was the winner. Yeah. Well, that only lasted two years because that just turned up 
turned into be like just, just a, a slam fest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you get the whole shot, and then all you're worried about is, all right, where where is this fucking guy going to try to slam <laughs> me? Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and it did become that. So it was pretty uh, pretty much just like contact sport. Um, so then after two years, they turned it into four cross. Um, which for those that don't know is four guys, you know, racing together at a time, top two go to the next round. Um, I think that was maybe like 2000, I don't know, four ish. Yeah. When, when that became the official. Yeah. And how like that pretty much just plays straight into your wheelhouse. Like, and it was a few, so who were the top dogs back at the time? It was like you, Eric Carter, like Cedric, who else was in there? Um, yeah. I mean, you'd have right. a lot of the downhill guys would do it too, but you guys really, yeah. there's like a few specialists kind of emerged yeah. out of it. Yeah. During those days, there was a lot of guys that, you know, myself included at the beginning, I raced downhill and slalom or four cross, whatever at that, that time. Um, and then kind of um, the sports back then were just, I don't know, maybe 2005, six, seven, we're just starting to kind of like get a little bit more specialized and people were yeah, like picking yeah. one or the other. There was still a handful of guys like Cedric um, Gracia, for instance. He was always wanted to do both. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, different Different guys were kind of like my main competitors at different eras. Um, Mike King, like you yeah, said, yeah, Eric, Eric yeah. Carter. Um, and then there was Wade Boots from Australia. Yeah, that's right. Um, he was a big competitor for, for years. And then after him, it was... Uh, Jared Graves was pretty solid J- in Jared, as well. Uh, yep. Obviously, Jared was, um, Jared was kind of, for me, um, a big competitor at the more the tail end of, of my, uh, yep. pro- probably the last like three or four years of my four cross career. And there was a guy named Michael Prokop from the Czech Republic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really fast. So kind of had like almost like probably three or four different like little, little segments errors. of yeah. my career where there was different guys that were kind of like my main, my main uh, challengers. And was it just something that you really gravitated towards? Like it just fully played into your skill set? Like what was it about four cross that like, cause you were so, like you said, you kind of just were, went through all these different areas. It just seemed like the whole time it was a sport. It was like your sport. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I raced downhill for a long time and then I, you know, I got out of downhilling just because I, I got on a team that didn't have a good bike or good suspension and tires and, and I, I was always, I wasn't like unbelievable at downhill, but I was pretty good. I won three national titles and, um, you know, had some podiums at some world cups, but, um, I kind of got out of that just because of the team I was on and the bike that uh. I was on. It, 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 you need a good bike and good equipment to do good in that sport. And, uh, at that point in my career, I wasn't getting that the solemn four cross stuff it wasn't so much about the bike because we were riding hardtails mainly. Um, yeah. So it was more just about, you know, your your gate starts and your power and your skills on, on the track. And uh, so I, I really kind of just basically that was the end of my downhill career. Started just focusing on this. And then I really just started to become more like dominant at this discipline. So then I just 
I was kind of just embraced it, right? And just yeah. went with it. And I was like, okay, this is this is, you know, this is my bread and butter, right? Like I'm just gonna, you know, almost like Jeremy with Supercross. I mean, yeah. you know, he did good in outdoor yeah, too. I did good in yeah. downhill, but I mean, he was more dominant at that. And so, um, yeah. So I just I just kind of rode that train for um, quite a long time, and eventually just started getting a little bit bored of it, and was like, that's oh, you know, what. If I win another race in this discipline, it's not going to, you know, give me the high or really change my life in any way. And I saw the sport of enduro starting to take off. Um, so I decided to to retire. In 2007, I, uh, I won the world championships in Scotland. Um, and after that year, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. But since I won the world championships, I did a few races in 2008 because I had the rainbow jersey. Yeah. I did a, I did a few races in 2008 in the four cross, um, but I already um, I signed a deal with Ibis Bikes, who at the time were kind of at the forefront of making carbon fiber bikes. Yep. And they were making um, uh, full suspension, more like trail slash enduro bikes, um, and they. Uh, and, and I wanted to kind of go that direction because I saw it taken off. So I signed with them and yeah, I really started racing more enduro stuff. And like in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop, you know, traveling the world and, uh, you know, just kind of do these races, fun races. Well, that actually turned into almost like more yeah. traveling and yeah. stuff because when you're racing the World Cups and you're focused on that, it's like you do those seven or eight races and maybe don't do any others or maybe just a few here and there. Whereas with this discipline of enduro at the time, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go do that one. I'm going to do that one. I'm going to do that. Like I didn't have like a set schedule and I was, it was fun. It was different. It was new. And uh, so, yeah, I kind of went that direction. And I mean, that's probably the main style of riding that I, I ride the most um, these days <clears throat> and that I race when I do race. But um, I ride cross country. I ride gravel. Obviously, I ride a lot of e-bikes. I, I still go dirt jumping at Sheep Hills. Um, even I actually, even a, a few years after um, I retired from World Cup racing, they they introduced the UCI introduced this new discipline called Sprint Eliminator. <clears throat> oh yeah, <clears throat> and um, so they were both supposed to be like real short cross country style races, two to three minutes long but in kind of a, a four cross format, yeah, four guys yep. at a time yep. to advance. And so I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. I, I think I could probably do pretty good at this. And so, uh, I was like, I went to a few test events and then the next year they made it like an official UCI world cup, you know, series. So I was like, Okay, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. I'm, yeah. I'm doing yeah, this. I'm yeah. back. On, I was 40, and I was like, I'm I'm coming back. I'm going to do these, and so I I trained my ass off um, for these events. I went to the first one in uh, Hoofelis, um, Belgium, and uh, and I won. I won the very first uh, sprint eliminator race, and it was awesome. Like to to win that race after training training for it and. You know, taking on uh, how many years would that have been since your last World Cup win? Um, probably, 
probably three years. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So it's like a good bit of time. It's yeah. enough It's enough to not know whether you could still, you yeah. know, like actually win again. Right. Yeah. And, and it was like a new discipline. And, yeah. you know, at that time I was 40, right? Like I was already, you know, pushing past probably what most people thought, uh, myself included. But, uh, yeah, so I won that one. And then I went to I went to the next one in the Czech Republic and didn't do too good in that one. And then went to another one in France and uh, ended up third at that one. And then I and then I just I just decided to pull the plug on it because <laughs> I mean for a couple of reasons. A it was so friggin' hard. Like, really, uh, the hardest racing I've ever done in my life. Wow. Yeah, physically the hardest racing. Um, you know because you can't you can't physically go a hundred percent for a minute and a half to two minutes. It's yes. Just, it doesn't matter who you are. It's not possible. Yeah. Um, so that that range is hard because it's like. Is it you, a sprint? Is it a, yeah. Yeah. You can't pace yourself too much because somebody might attack and pass you, but you can't go all out or you're not going to make it to the finish line. So <laughs> yeah. I always tell people, it's like, you know, you're you're riding your, your motorcycle and you're just pinging off the rev limiter and you're like, God, is this thing going to blow? Yeah. Or is it not? Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it was super hard for one, but it's also just the UCI has a, a way of not always uh, ruining shit. Yeah, 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 <laughs> pretty much yeah, ruining shit, and, and it just wasn't going in the direction that I thought was cool. And yeah, so I, I just kind of quit it. Yeah, yeah, right. So not uh, mountain biking in that early two thousands, kind of like late nineties. What that? I mean. For me, I look back on that era pretty nostalgically, obviously, but that was such a dope era in the sport. And I think Tani was saying yesterday that she thinks that's the era where dudes made the most money. Like Palmer was on like a million dollars, but I'm like, I don't know. What was that? Dude, so what so was that era it's like? It's like so funny that you are bringing this up because I'm trying to think. I was just talking to somebody on the phone and about money <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and about somebody's how much they were making or something like that. Um, which we should talk about that. Cause that's always like a mystery. Everybody. Oh, what's yeah, he making? Yeah. like, I don't know why that's such a big deal. Like everybody wants to keep it a secret. And I think in all these other sports, like look at Otani. I mean, he just signed a $700 million deal. Bro. Like, don't you want to know that? Like, okay you're not as good as him but maybe you're half as good you yeah. you, you, you can make 350 yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean um Dude, I, think I thought it, about that when the joe rogan thing went down i was like i was like okay so 200 million dollars if i could be 10 percent as big as him then that's 20 million dollars i'm right. like oh, this this is sweet i could be i could be 90 percent smaller than joe rogan right <laughs> you know? i'll take it yeah that's why I, I used to always say that about our sport compared to golf you're like yeah fuck i wish i was like a hundredth best in the world in golf like yeah. I'd, be, I'd be rolling right now <laughs> yeah but yeah my uh so whoever i was talking to i can't remember and they were talking about salaries and I was like, oh man, I, you know, in my day, I never made no $500,000 a year in, in, in with everything, never. And, um, and then my, my wife, she, I guess, overheard this. I didn't know at the time. And then literally yesterday or the day before she sent me this, um, 
I don't know, like Google screenshot or something. Of like Brian Life's net worth. No, uh. it was, it was, um, I think the most I ever made in a year was about 350 grand. Yeah. And she said, she said, look, you made 350 grand and whatever it was, I can't remember the year, yeah. you know, 2003. That in today's money is worth like 650 grand. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> all right, so maybe, uh, you know, I was kind of on par, you know, with some of the, the top dogs. I mean, I think they're even making more than that, you know, like Brunies and stuff of today. But uh, yeah, so. If you had to hazard a guess, what are the top dudes making in downhill right now? I would I would think somewhere between that 500 to a million. Yeah. You know, all in, obviously. Like once you win bonuses and that sort of stuff. Do you know what a manufacturer bonus is worth at like a like a big company, like a specialized or a Santa Cruz? Like if you win the world champs or a world cup overall, or like a world cup championship overall? Yeah, I think, you know, because I, I, uh, I, I trained this kid that I was, I was telling you about and, um, I help them with all their sponsorship stuff as well. I've become a bit of an agent as well, I guess, yeah, okay. on the side. But um, so I, I, I know what like his bonuses are. And now, granted, he's first year elite, so you know he's not making anywhere close to, I'm sure, like a salary of a Bruni or somebody like that. Um, but he has pretty big bonuses, and you know has the potential to, to you know, triple or quadruple his his uh his sign on yeah Yeah. his income if if he if he does that so i don't know i feel like i feel like in in my day a world championship i think a bonus was like 25 grand or something for a world championship i think nowadays it's you know probably anywhere between 50 and 100 yeah okay yeah yeah because there's a i was just talking to wygan about this the other day right like i kind of would push on him we'd have like this back and forth of like I would say guys should make more money and then there's like this ethical conversation around, well, should the public know how much money they make? And then on the athlete side, they're like, fuck you, like I shouldn't know like how much money my contract worth, like it's Mm -hmm. personal. But then the way that I would look at it, I'm like, okay, is it a net positive for the sport if the fans know how, like does it make the racing better? And I would say yes. Like I would say to be a fan of the either downhill or motocross or whatever it is, you have something more invested or you have, I guess, like a better context and understanding of like what's on the line for the athlete. And then I think that that gives you a bit more, like there's a bit more emotion involved when you're watching like the highs and the lows. Like you understand the highs more, you have more context and then you can understand the low, like, dude, Tomac's Achilles probably cost him two million bucks. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, and even to a step further is like with these guys, I don't know exactly what it comes out to, but like with Otani, let's just use as an example. I mean, he's making whatever, hundreds of thousands of dollars per game. So if he misses a game or, you know, a month because of his arm or whatever, you're like, holy shit, he just lost. Dude, like- yeah, think about that. I wonder, so $700 million contract, but I wonder if it's like, if it's broken into per game and if you miss a game, like you don't make from what, two, oh, yeah. three million, like, 
dude, the pressure and the stress that you would feel. But I guess at that point, like even if you only play half your contract, like you're still, right. it's not a big deal. But yeah, like that extra layer, like there is a layer of complexity. And then think about, this is me just thinking out loud, but think about the the layer of complexity it adds to his life in terms of pressure to performance. And it's like, for him to make be justified in making that money, he's got to be so on point. So think about the level at which that you'd step up as an athlete to be like, that's how much is invested in me. Like I, the need to perform, the hunger to perform. Like, and it could go both ways. Like that could break a person, or it could force a person to become superhuman in a way. You know. So I think it. I I personally, after doing quite a bit of thinking about it, I think that it is better. Yeah, for fans, no. But I also think it gives the athletes a bit more leverage as well. Like, I actually know, I know that there was a rally team, so I won't go too far into it. I know that there was a rally team where all of the riders got together and asked how much money they were making, and then they all basically said, "All right, this is a bit fucked. I think let's all just go and ask for the same." amount of money they wanted to pay like an a rider a b rider and a c rider they've all won the dakar before like they've all won route they're all the fucking legends right and they were like no nah. well this is the price you right know? so it's like there's there is yeah. power there's leverage like you totally. know even for agents to say what people yep. are worth like i mean i'm sure that that number got floated through the industry and people were kind of you know really gauging what it's worth and that's where things become like a genuine marketplace right because i think right now there's just they're just rumors yeah you know and people are like oh this guy makes this oh i heard this guy makes this or you know but they don't really know and and sometimes those numbers are totally off right like oh so and so makes this much money and you're like yeah i i know he actually only makes like half of that you know yeah yeah so i mean it, it it goes both ways but yeah i think it just having a the, the knowledge and the to to just up everybody's pay and salary um but i mean there are obviously guys that like are worth more i don't know the case that you just told me about all the rally guys i mean they might have all won a rally right or yeah. the car all right so they're all like okay we've all accomplished the same shit but you know maybe this guy is like a super guy you know yeah. like he yeah. like he's whatever he's the uh He's, he's like, hey, the, he's like the Hayden Deegan, right? Yeah. Like everybody knows and everybody loves him. He's like the up and comer. He's like got tons of fans, you know, whereas like the other guy is just kind of quiet, conservative to himself, you yeah. know, maybe yeah. a bit more like Tomac-ish, right? Just keeps to himself and he's just, so, I mean, there's, there's a worth to that too, right? Yeah. So, man, do you, do you ever think about how, like what Hayden's future is going to be like when it comes to that stuff? Like how hard would it be? Oh, there's because you're on a team, right? And you're like Star Yamaha, but you're Hayden Deegan. It's like he's already one of the biggest stars in the sport. So there's a very different, like he's got, he'd be doing his own deals. There's like that would be such a complex situation for so many people to navigate, I'm sure, because there's just one of him and it. That's, it's not hap- like it's not happening again ever the right. way that Hayden Deegan happened like the between the dad the YouTube channel how good he is like there's yeah. uh, that would be that's uh, I guess a great problem <laughs> for a company like Yamaha and Monster Dad, but like wow that's got to create some issues yeah I mean it's definitely a different 
different world than uh, the world I grew up in. You know, shit, we didn't even have cell phones when I was raised. <laughs> uh, so yeah, these some of these kids, man, they got a lot going on. But I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's got some good people behind him. Oh yeah, definitely. They've got like a whole, a whole machine behind, you know, the development and like to make sure that they go through. But even like the sister and it's just great when you really look at that family like that is pretty insane yeah yeah it is insane i don't i mean i don't know that i would personally want to to to, to live like that yeah. and have like that much kind of going on and just like all the time 24 7 it seems a little bit much but hey to each their own i mean whatever whatever they want to do right it's their life yeah yeah <laughs> well I, I think when you grow up in it you just probably like hayden wouldn't know right. any other way Right. Like, you know, it's not like he would know what it would be like not to have it, which is wild to think about. Yeah. But yeah. so that you're in that that kind of period and making, you know, most you ever made, say, 350. Like, so that is pretty good living back then to be young dude traveling the world, <laughs> riding a mountain bike. And yeah. I, I, I remember anyone that watched Mud Cows back in the day, it looked like it was a really, really fun time. Yeah. No, it was fun. It was a lot, a lot of good times. I mean, I wasn't, uh, um, I wasn't like the big partier like Kavorik or Randy <laughs> yeah. or Steve Pete or Warner or any of those guys. Like I, I wasn't or Palmer. Um, I wasn't. I was more focused on just racing and winning, and uh, that was kind of like I, I would always laugh. I'm like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Those guys are out there partying. <laughs> like, yeah, let them get drunk. You know, I'll <laughs> win tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, keep drinking, boys. Yeah, keep drinking. You want some more beer tickets? Here you go. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was some. There was definitely some wild parties for sure. And um, yeah, Glenn, your uncle, like with the mad cows, and uh, man, he. Yeah, I think. It's funny when you think back, like, you know, when you're young, you don't, well, at least I didn't. There was a lot of things, like, I just took for granted and didn't didn't really think about. And now, you know, into my 50s, I like, think about, I'm like, wow, those are pretty freaking cool times. Oh, and man, yeah. That was, that was sick. And, uh, you know, you just, little things you kind of wish you would have, like, appreciated a little, little bit more um, when, when you're younger. But, you know, I guess <clears throat> that that's why they always say right like if you if you knew then what you knew now yeah you know. yeah yeah what were some of the best memories of that kind of era because it, it really seemed like mountain biking kind of was finding its identity in some ways like it was kind of getting out of the skin suit era <clears throat> and the the bikes were getting rad and the you know there was like the troy lee coming in the way that it did it just that it seemed like that era at least for me that shaped modern mountain biking culture so it's cool that you were smack bam in the middle of that and a big part of the culture you know like our the the fox and the oakley and the gt you know like that that it's such iconic imagery from back then yeah yeah i know it um <clears throat> definitely went through some periods of the sport where it was like you know i mean when i first started racing mountain bikes um, you know, we didn't, we didn't even have disc brakes, Yeah, right? Like suspension was kind of like just starting to happen. Um, uh, you know, just bikes just kept getting more, more travel tires kept getting better. I mean, er everything was just like every year it was just like better and progress, better, and better. progress, yeah. progress, progress, progress. 
Um, and I was, yeah, I was pretty fortunate to, to be, um, in that period, I think, you know, like just a lot of good memories. Like, um, when I, when I first got on Mongoose, like I said, like, you know, they gave me this like hardtail mountain bike and I didn't know anything about it. And I would just go mountain biking with people, um, like, uh, Bryson Martin, for instance, it, Bryson Martin ran um, Marzocchi's suspension. Oh, you know? yeah. Marzocchi yeah. was like, you know, the yeah, shit the back the then. the bombers. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, I met Bryson when I was, like, I don't know, like, 90, 92, I think. And he saw something in me, and he gave me, like, my first Marzocchi suspension fork. with like It had little holes at the bottom before the quick-release skewer at the bottom. That was, like, my first suspension fork I ever got. And... Um, you know, then, you know, he went on to, to uh, when Marzocchi eventually got sold, and then he started DVO suspension. And oh, like, is that who that? Ah, yeah. That yeah. stuff looks so sick. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get a chance to ride it. Oh, you've got some of that on the Yamaha? I, got, I just got, um, yeah, I'm both my Yamahas, and I actually got a brand new fork that I'm going to get dialed in just for you. Oh, sick. Okay. Yeah, brand new 38 DVO is going, on, is going on your bike. Sounds good. So, um. There'll be, there'll be no excuses, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just like that progression, you know, like knowing Bryson from 92 and still working with him today. Um, Troy Lee, same thing. Yeah. Like I met Troy Lee in 92 also. Um, I did this race called the downhill mania at big bear and, um, I won and some guys from his office were like, Hey, we want you to, um, come in and meet Troy Lee. And I was like, Troy Lee? Okay, what, what, who is he? What does he do? And and uh, um, they're like, oh, he paints helmets and stuff. I was like, okay. And I didn't know who the hell he was, right? <laughs> like, so and, wild. And, and I thought, and I, it's funny because I'm great friends with yeah. Troy now. Like, we're, we're really good friends. And I and I always just I always uh, tease him like man remember when I, I thought you were Asian like I, was going, I thought I was going in to meet an Asian guy you know and I go in and I meet this white guy uh, so yeah just you know so I've known Troy and worked with him since then like uh, you know before he was really making helmets he was just painting helmets and sticker kits and visors on helmets and um, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of was, a lot of cool errors that I've been. I mean, even even uh, not quite as early as as Bryson and and Troy, but um, the, the Fox family. Like I got sponsored by Fox in, in the um, kind of mid to late '90s. I think '96 maybe was '96 was or seven was my first year on Fox, and so I've known Pete, you know, forever since uh, since then. And now I work with Pete with Renan. Like, oh, uh, sick. yeah. Like, uh, you know, he started that that brand a couple of years ago, and then he he reached out to me because he he just lives right right around the corner here, and asked uh, asked me to help him with the mountain bike gear. And so I've, you know, worked with Pete on developing all the new mountain bike gear, and now like kind of different position and time in my life where now yeah. I'm looking for the riders instead of being the rider. Like I'm looking for the next young kids and up and coming talent to get in the Renan gear. And, uh, so yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's fun to kind of go through all these different layers and stages of, of the sport and, and just the history of it. Yeah. What was it like to be a Fox rider back then? That was like, just not, I mean, I don't know that Fox has ever really had a peak, but I mean, I'm sure back then it was just such a, 
there's such a cool wild time in like that company's history and just yeah. like all of you know you look at motocross in the 90s with like what jeremy was doing on fox and then they were everywhere like wakeboarding and yeah you know they were just that that time period for fox was crazy oh uh, it was yeah it was it was really crazy and <clears throat> it was cool like i used to deal with todd hicks i don't know if yep, you ever know yep, todd yep. but um i used to deal with him and um he and i were he's one year older than me but we have the same birthday and uh, so I, I think we had like a special bond there and uh like i would just get these boxes that would just show up you know with like <laughs> one of everything of the new whatever summer line or you know spring line and it was just i never ordered anything it would just show up it was like christmas all the time uh, being sponsored by them so that that was that was pretty cool and um yeah like you said the wakeboarding and the surfing all the different todd and i actually we used to do a trip to um florida every year around the Daytona Supercross. Oh, yeah. And we'd go to like Sean Murray's house, who yep, was pro yep. wakeboarder that was sponsored by Fox. We'd go hang out with Murray. Yeah. And then we'd go over to the Stewart's house. We'd go to their compound. No when, way. when Malcolm was just little, right? He was like on an 85. And I would just like, I'd just grab a 125 out of the, out of the, uh, out of the garage and, and ride laps with Malcolm, no you shit. know, like when he was like little, little. And um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool being sponsored by Fox. Just a lot of uh, cool people I got to meet, and you know, a lot of crossover there. How <laughs> how different does the um, industry feel now? Because like, it, I guess it just it's not like that these days, you know. And it's everything's so much bigger in a sense. But yeah, just that feel like the real small. It was like mum and pop shop versus big company, you know. Like you kind of had it in the in the era where it was still like a family business and it's just like as you go on through the years and companies get bought and sold and they get so big it, that feeling changes but it seems like with so many of the relationships that you had it was still in that like mum and pop shop kind of deal yeah <laughs> no you're you're right and i think um <clears throat> you know that's one thing that i i kind of talk about uh with the younger generation and the kids that i like to to try to help uh, mold their their lives but um you know nowadays it's like if you're sponsored by fox like you probably have no idea who the owner is yeah um you know in my day it was like sweet i know greg i know pete i know scrap like you know the three brothers of the family like i know them um you know same with with bryson now at dvo or or, or troy at you know yeah. his company um ibis guys like i know um all the owners of that company a, a lot of a lot of owners of of you know pete now at renan um <clears throat> i like to build those relationships and yeah. and you know try to make them as long lasting as possible um it's great when you're at the height of your career and you're winning everything i mean if you're sponsored by whatever brand and you know you have this this contract that's awesome but then, because this happened to me a lot at GT, then the marketing person yeah. like, leaves. Yep. And you're like, oh, okay, so who do I deal with now? And you're like, oh, there's a new park. And this new marketing person comes in and he's like, so what, you know, what? why should we continue our contract with you? What, you, what are you bringing to the table? Who are you? You're like, you're like fuck. Bro, I've been like, here longer than you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And yeah. that's exactly how I always felt. I'm like, especially back then, because I was winning so much. I was like, 
really? You're the marketing guy. You shouldn't you know who I am? Like, why, <laughs> why do I got to sell myself again to you? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, eventually, yeah, it, it can get hard if you don't. Um, if companies are always turning over people and you don't have like a real like solid relationship and foundation with with the brand so no dude yeah. i fully get that i mean that's why i'm so I, like i don't have even have a deal with alpine stars but it's like i know gabrielle you know and i know the top guys in that company yep. we're all really good friends and we've got like organic relationships like we all ended up being friends yep. from different places you know and it's like it's one of the reasons why i just I just always I roll with those guys like they feel like family and yeah. It, and yeah you definitely get a sense I mean Troy would be another one where it's it's like that you know because you just like know yeah. the owner but yeah there's just like musical chairs sometimes with companies and it's like you really want to there's a, a quote from this uh this podcast this guy Naval Ravankan he's like an Indian immigrant he ended up being like a tech multi 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 like hundred millionaire and he's like he's like a modern day philosopher these days but some of his business stuff is like amazing and he he says it the best like what you said but he says long-term games with long-term people you know and it's like that's what you've done through your career is yeah. you've played these long games with really good long-term people and that's how you can end up i think that's part of you know the longevity that you have in the industry it's like yeah. it's all relationships man it like is. being sponsored and even like i'll have people that will come to me for advice on stuff of like oh, i want to approach this company and I had one guy well, i had a chat with him and i was like right you, what you need to do is you need to go and you need to say what you're providing for the year and then you need to then give that a value like what you're providing it's forty five thousand dollars worth of value right and that you have to itemize it like yeah, yeah and it's be specific what post you're gonna do what uh, and then he was just like oh fuck like i just want to i just need a gear sponsor man and i'm like well that's why you won't get one like you need to show people your value and like you add value to them they add value value to you it's like win-win every deal exactly. that you make has to be a win-win like that the days of one-sided deals because you're good at writing are fucking done, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dude, yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on. And I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of kids these days, they don't they don't understand that business side of things and why they're being even sponsored. I mean, I give you a, a funny uh, funny story example. It was just literally this morning. Oh. I, I, I have a 10-year-old. Uh, he's in fifth grade. And I was dropping him off at school. And... On the the Navi in the car, it said, you know, directions to here. It said podcast, Gypsy Tales, right? And he's like, oh, you're, you're going to do a podcast today, Dad? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, cool. Um, so do you get paid to do that? <laughs> and, and, and I go, no. And he goes, oh, well, so why do you do it? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> Good question. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I said, so, and that's what I explained to him. I said, look, Mav, I have, you know, these these sponsors that that pay me money and you know at some point during the podcast we'll probably talk about some of them i go and it's just awareness i'm bringing them up i'm trying to 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 keep those companies business going and to promote them because if those companies are not staying alive i'm, I don't, not, staying I'm alive. not staying alive right? <laughs> and you're going on yeah son. and so it's it was 
you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but a lot of kids and, and, you know, I, I would say for me personally, like when I was younger, I was actually interested in the business uh, side of these things. Okay. Like, um, one of my kind of mentors in the whole bike industry, I, I think he's, I've always said, I think he's the smartest guy in the bike industry. His name is Bob Marjavikas. And, um, when I was at Mongoose, he was the president of Mongoose. Then he went to Specialize. He's been at Specialize ever since. So oh, prob- wow. probably, <clears throat> you know, probably at least 25 years. Okay, so more. he is the smartest man in Mount Bucky. He, yeah. That's look, probably the, be- the like, one of the gnarliest companies. Yeah. And he, you know, at one point he owned a piece of Specialize. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of uh, history there. But um, I used to always, uh, like, just ask him for information. And I'd go to his house. I'd st- I mean, he's quite a bit older than me, you know, and I'd just... I'd stay with him and his wife at the time and just, I just listened to the guy because yeah. he knows everything about everything in the, in the bike industry. And I'd always be like, Oh, okay. Like, I want you to take me to Taiwan. I want to, I want to learn. Like I want to yeah. learn the back end of how this all works. And yeah, he's, he's just been a, a great resource, but I think at least it seems like the majority of kids these days, maybe don't get that part of it you know yeah, yeah. Um, it, i mean it's it's good and it's bad because it's good if you're a person that gets it <laughs> you know so like if, if you're a kid i mean for in my case like i'm like my phone my wife always says i'm a professional dirt bike rider <laughs> because she's like you get paid to ride bikes you know i get paid to do this and it's like a, it's a whole thing yeah. you know and I always think like, dude, if an idiot like me can make a living in the bike industry, you know, whether it's two where two wheels, four wheels, it's pedals, motor, like whatever, then anyone can, right. you know. But I think it's just purely get the understanding right. Like I, the last this last couple months, I mean, this is I love the business side of it as well. It's to me the most fun, and it's distracting from all of the bullshit about being like online essentially, but. I've spent the last two months just doing all my proposals for all of our potential sponsors for next year, you know, and it's like, it's cost me thousands of dollars. Like I have a graphic designer that I pay thousands of dollars to work with me on just getting every pitch in line and okay, I'm going to provide this video. It's going to go live on this date. It's, and comp- that's what it takes these days. Like you, I have to work my fucking ass off the the money that i make it's know? a lot of work people so people don't work. people don't people just say oh like you know you got to do this you get to do this podcast you know, but they don't see all the back work right I, and there's a lot of it i mean for me when i when i started doing all my own sponsors when i went from volvo cannondale which at the time was like the biggest you know gnarliest team on the race circuit like signed a deal with them and basically at the time i had Oakley as a personal sponsor, and I think Alpine Star actually. I, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. When you said Gabrielle, yeah, I, for, I forgot about him. Like I've known Gabrielle forever as well, and great guy. Um, <clears throat> genius, the, yeah, like mad genius guy. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. I stayed at his his place in uh, oh, in, in Italy. Italy and like yeah, back in the day, it was it was it was great. But um, shit, where was I going with that? Um, you saw him with the, you saw him with the company and you, Oh, so then when, when I, so that was great. Like one big paycheck, you know, and don't have to worry about anything. And then 
when I left that team and went and started GT with, you know, Fox and Bell and, you know, all these other sponsors on my own, like I did that, right? Like I was the one calling out everybody. And I always told people, I'm like, hey, it's a lot more work to do to do it how I'm doing it than to just sign a deal with one big company. But um, when, when uh, you know, that big company decides they don't want you anymore, look, you, now you got, now you're back to ground zero. Like yeah. if one of my sponsors doesn't want me anymore or decides, you know, to close the doors, like maybe just 10% or 15% or whatever has gone away. So, But yeah. it's, it's also fun too in a what like i mean i look at this is like my big project you know i'm working on this at all times essentially right and and it but it provides like that it's like meaningful right you know and it's like it would be the same with you like you're you you care about what you do you love what you do your results are linked to your effort and then life becomes simple (laughs) you know like put in effort get the results put in effort get the results and it's all it's like a weird life hack in a sense and mm-hmm. i'm just always busy i'm always got something to do I, my my problems are problems i've picked right. you know like any of the things that suck right, right now with the business like that's sweet that's my right. it's my business like i chose to do all of these things so I, there's like a i don't know like a weird level of fulfillment if you want that and right. i'm sure that it was the same for you like it's fun to make the phone calls it's fun to pitch the companies it's fun to work with them it's way more work but it just feels more rewarding well especially if it goes good right like yeah, yeah. You, you know you're pitching you know whatever gabrielle hey gabrielle you know this 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 and then you make it happen you're like sweet sweet <laughs> yeah i'm glad i uh you know i'm glad i could give you maybe even more than i thought like yeah. was going to happen out of it and i mean yeah that was a you know i always feel like in the business world um and now you know, since I have a kid and um, I, you know, he's into other sports, he's not into bicycles. You know, I hang around a lot of different families in Laguna and there's a lot of affluent people yeah. just around here. And so I love just like listening how their business works or, and, yeah. you know, how things work in their world. And and I, I swear almost always I can relate it to my world. Yeah. It's just different, right? Like, you know, like you said, you work hard and, and you get rewarded or, <clears throat> you know, I just like you're doing, like I was doing the same thing. I'm like, fucking, you know, sponsor me. I'm going to fucking win. Like, yeah. I'm going to win this championship. Like, you know, this, this, this. And then I go out and fucking do it. And, and you're like, bam, yeah, you know, yeah. I win, you win. Let's yeah. go. You know, like yeah. I, I'm, I'm here to like do what I said I'm going to do. So, yeah, no, no, I love it. Uh, so did you ever get into any other business like outside of mountain biking or did you ever, was there any, like maybe you made a bit of money and then you started doing some other investment stuff? Like did any of that ever appeal to you as well? Yeah. I mean, when I was like, so when I was 12, 13, somewhere around there, I started doing some commercials. Yeah. And right. uh, so before I started making money on bikes, I, I used to do some commercials and, and that's like how I bought my first car and oh, no all, all these things. Like, yeah, I, I would tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, came home from school today, you know, and uh, had an $800 check in the mail from, you know, this, you know, juicy fruit commercial I did, you know, or whatever, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it was, it was, it was pretty cool. But so I, I kind of started really saving when I was pretty young um no way that's sick yeah and uh 
you know, got like a money guy when I was, when I was young and started a, you know, a retirement account when I was 16, 17 years no old. Oh shit. Um, so I, I had that kind of going for me, but I've always been like in my head at least try to be entrepreneurial, but I, I don't know. I, I'm also a bit of a procrastinator and like sometimes I have a problem of like actually pulling the trigger and, and actually doing stuff like, uh, but um, as far as like businesses, like I, for a while I was into just like moving around here, you know, real estate goes up and I'm like, Oh babe, let's just move. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. we can make 200 grand on our house right now. Let's just move and we'll go buy a house like over there, or over there, or something smaller or whatever, just kind of, you know, and the, and the tax laws here in, in the U S you know, you can. Uh, if you live in your house for two years or more, you don't have to pay the capital. Yeah, gains. you don't have to pay the yeah. capital gains up to a certain amount. So, I was kind of just doing that for a while, but then with you know, once you have a kid, and my wife really loves our neighborhood, and yeah. you know, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, shit, we could make a lot of money in this place. Uh, <laughs> just, we don't have to move out of Laguna. We can just move to a different spot, a smaller <laughs> house, a crappier house, fix it up, you know. But it's not, it's not working so so much in that um, <laughs> in that realm, but. Um, yeah, as far as other little, I, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm partners in, in a few things. Um, uh, I'm partners in, a, we're, we're still developing it, but it's a, it's a trail finding app. It's oh, called, sweet. It's called Trail Aware. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, there's obviously a ton of different trail apps out there, and a lot of them are really good. But what, uh, where we're trying to separate ourselves is my friend is a developer and he's figured out a way to draw uh, augmented reality. Uh, it's it's all through augmented reality, so he can draw a line. Uh, and you be holding your phone up on the truck. Yeah. Oh, that's so sick. it's it's all done through um, through the phone and AR. But it's basically he can draw uh, a 3D line over a trail in AR. So it's a GPS line. You know, you're like holding your phone up. You're like, oh. Yep, there's the trail, and you're looking at the mountain, and you're like, "Yeah, there's a trail right there," or it's it's great like if you're in an area where you're you're looking at your map and it's a flat map, right? And you're like, you're trying to go like, "Fuck, is the trail over there or is it over there?" You know, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe it's bushy or a lot of trees, and you're like, you can just hold up and go like, "Oh yeah, the trail's right over there." It says it's a uh, hundred feet over that way. That's it, right? So, um, yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool. We're we're uh, you know, still trying to, to get, get that going. And we, there's definitely some development that still needs to be done, but, but it's, you can download it. It's, it's oh, called Trailerware. You can check sweet. it out. And, um, yeah. So hopefully that's going to just get better and better, but, um, yeah. What else, what else am I involved with? Um, you know, just, just little stuff. I've had a book for, God, oh really? For, I don't know. It's probably been, over 15 years it's called mastering mountain bike skills it's no way it's, that's awesome yeah it's quite it's in its third edition now but it's in like seven or eight different languages wow what was the process yeah. of making that come to life um basically just uh, the need for an instructional book like at the time you know 15 20 years ago when first the first edition came out there was really i think ned over and had a uh, an instructional book and it was pretty dated yeah. at, at that time so, um, so we did a book and it was, we, we got a publisher to, to actually publish it. Uh, my friend wrote it. Basically we went on a road trip and for a couple of weeks and he was just like taking notes, like, how, you know, 
you know, I'll be driving. I'll be like, yeah, so, you know, bunny hop, this is what you do, you know, or the wheelie, this is what you do, these, you know. And uh, and he's a really good writer, so he would just kind of put everything into words. And then, um, yeah, so that was the first edition. And then after like five years, uh, the publisher was like, hey, it'd be cool to do an updated version with new content. And with the sport, like always changing, yeah, changing and progressing, and getting better, new disciplines. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty easy. So, um, yeah, so it just kind of grew and grew. And I mean, it's not like a huge, you know, money maker, but it's that's, that's something, like something cool. Yeah, it's cool to do as it, well. The coolest thing about it for me is just people will be like, "Dude, I love your book. It's helped me so much." You know, and so that, that's kind of the coolest part, I think. And so, how did you just go about pub, like finding a publisher? Man, I think um, my partner at the time, he might have found the publisher because, like I said, he's a really good writer. Um, that's what that's what his job is, is writing. Um, I think he found the publisher. I don't remember exactly how he found it, but this company is uh, mainly focused on, like, informational kind of stuff yeah you know, whether it's nutrition yeah. or triathlons or yeah so they've got like their lane that they're in yeah and, yeah 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 so um yeah so that's yeah. still cool like, that's a cool process to go through and yeah. like there's something uh there's something cool about writing a book because there's a massive barrier to entry yeah <laughs> like it's really really time consuming yeah and it's really hard to do so I I think that's like I don't know it's, I, I've always I love reading a lot too but mm. I just think there's something magical about a book like to do a podcast is pretty easy like I don't edit anything you just it's fucking word vomit <laughs> for three <laughs> hours you know and then so it's like okay yeah you put a lot of content out there but it's like I, it feels different than a book like that's something that's very real it takes a very long time to do and there's such like a process to actually make it happen and then for people to buy it because it's good is like a whole nother thing so yeah, yeah I think that's such a sick process to go through yeah well I didn't do the actual writing, right? Like I was doing the vomiting, like yeah. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's cool. So it's just kind of like a little little something to give back, I guess. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, and so when you when you retired, and then you retired from the the uh, sprint stuff. Yeah. What did the next couple of years look like? Um, mainly just you know riding enduro was kind of my thing um but that's you know probably well i've been with yamaha now for um a bit over four years end of this year will be like like yeah we kind of signed initially at a, at a uh not like at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year it was kind of uh, part way through the year so yeah it'll be a little over four years um so that was kind of like the next thing right was that was jumping into the e-bike world yeah yeah and then so when did the the training of the troy lee team happen god when was that um man it was when you know um well cole was on the team christian craig shane McElrath, uh jesse nelson um well was will on the team then no okay no so it was after will raced yeah but um yeah, when those guys were all babies. Yeah, and how did that come come about? Obviously through the friendship with Troy. Yeah. But what did you, I guess, how what did you feel like you could add in that training or did you, like where was training even at kind of in that era? Because it's so 
different now like from when that time yeah to now like the whole training and the facility like it's such a different deal so what was the training sphere like then yeah yeah it's it, uh well basically i mean how it came about was um troy and tyler keith um yeah. they basically hit me up one day i think maybe troy was even in europe or somewhere else and he called me and uh they were like hey you want to you want to train our guys like we need somebody to get them in shape and i've always kind of prided myself on being in really good shape and always just really trained myself um you know i was into weightlifting and stuff a lot like in high school and after high school and into bmx and i just always trained myself and always prided myself on being in good shape and i think so maybe that's why troy hit me up and was like hey you want to do this and i was like at the beginning I, honestly i was like I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, mm, I don't know. Well, A, I don't know if I'm qualified to do this, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, um, or if I want the, the work and the responsibility. And, and really what it came down to is I just reached out to a handful of friends and people that I trust and, um, ask them really i'm like do you think i should do this like do you think i'm qualified to do this and that's like, a good way to do it you know and like and and all of them were like i think you should brian like i think you should do it. i think you don't i, I think you take for granted what you know and yeah. and uh what you've done and stuff and um i think you could you could help and add add something to to these kids programs so i was like all right well yeah, let's give it a go, you know? And so I, you know, I agreed to it with, with Tyler and Troy. And, um, I remember the first time I, I met, you know, Jesse and, um, and the rest of the writers, uh, I, I remember sitting down with them and I was like, all right, like, I'm not claiming I know everything there is to know about training because I don't, <laughs> you know, um, you might ask me shit and I might not know the answer to it, but, uh, let's, you know, let's see how it goes and, you know, just kind of roll with it. And, and what I kind of quickly learned was that, that these guys didn't really know that much. Mm. And so, you know, even though I didn't feel like I was like, the guru of training and you know i had this huge uh you know knowledge base on everything there that maybe i thought there was to know is that i, I knew a lot more than they knew so yeah. it was um i think it kind of for me it's it's hard because i think um you know my whole life was racing 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 uh, it was all about like trying to be the best, trying to win. And, and I got to that point, right? So in my head, I feel like if you want to talk about bikes or racing, you know, bicycles, like, Hey, I know, I know I was at yeah. the, the highest level and I, and I made it here. But if you want to talk about anything else, like I, you know, I might know some stuff, but I, I was never here. And I feel like what usually when I, try to do something like I try to, I want to be like the best at it or mm. try to be as best as I, I can at it. And, uh, you know, so like, I'm not going to sit here and try to debate like, uh, you know, how to build a motor. Like I, I don't know shit about building a motor or, you <laughs> yeah, know, something yeah. like that. Like, I, I don't know. Like, um, I, I mean, we could talk about suspension. I know how suspension works, but, um, 
you know, if you start bringing in like, uh, you know, the forces of the engine, like I'm out, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to debate it with, with you. Um, so yeah, anyways, the, that's kind of the gist of the training thing and how, how it started. And then what was the experience like? Did you enjoy working with the guys? Like, did you see, what were you, how were you training back then? Because like nowadays you just get a Garmin and you get your heart rate strap and then you stay in zone two for a certain amount of time and then you do intervals up to this zone. Like it's pretty like scientific now what you need to do and it's like based on what you are required for your sport, right? Yeah. So, but that wouldn't have been the case back when you were training. No. Um, and I mean, I think it really depends on what you're training for too, right? Like my races were, were relatively short. Um, uh, so you know, how, how I'm going to train is obviously different than a cross country guy is going to train or a guy racing, you know, GPs versus guy racing, you know, supercross. Um, but I, I mean, I always just did what I thought was needed for me. And, um, once I kind of found that recipe, I just, I really stuck with it. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't sway from it too much. I, you know, if it's, if it's working, I don't feel like I need to change too much yeah. shit up. Yeah. Um, but the, <clears throat> some of the biggest things I always found with, with some of the motocross kids was, um, well, A, I used to always tell them like, you know, just because it worked for Carmichael doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Um, great friends with Ernesto Fonseca. And yeah. I, I know Ernesto used to always tell me like he hated going to Ricky's house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Ernie's so funny. He'd just be like, fuck, I hated going to that fucker's house, man. He would just make me ride, you know, three tanks of gas and I was just fucking dead. And then we'd have to do it again. And I just, dude, I hated it. Right. And, and, and that didn't, you know, maybe work for Ernie. It worked for Ricky, but yeah, Ricky know, loved it. Everybody's yeah. different, you know? Yeah. Um, so I felt like with these kids, you know, it took a little while to really learn them and, kind of see what worked for them or what made them physically, mentally, you know, like have an advantage or, or take the next step forward. Or, you know, like I used to laugh at Christian, you know, Christian Craig, cause he was like naturally oh, gifted. Amazing. Like, yeah. Unbelievable. Whether it was in the gym or on the bicycle. Oh, really? Or in so the even fitness was, he was, he was really good to a certain point because he i think he has so much natural ability just genetically whatever right like he's like really high but to get him to go past that was always a struggle for uh. me yeah like he he kind of would um i feel like break mentally a bit when it was like past his comfort zone, comfort kind of zone. Thing. Yeah. yeah yeah um whereas there was like other guys like that would just kind of maybe not be uh super great but would just keep grinding right like just put their head down and just keep going and you know not not crack yeah i remember actually one time tyler keith was like hey i want you to i want you to just fucking just make these guys suffer like take <laughs> just like make them suffer mentally physically yeah. i was like really and he's like yeah i was like okay so i i like i was like Okay, boys, you know, Wednesday, we're going to meet at, you know, um, at the bottom of the San Juan Trail. 
and we're going to do a big ride. That's it. That's, That's all it. the info. I'm like, I go, bring a lot of water and bring a lot of food. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, Quinn Cody? Nah. Quinn Cody, he works for KTM now, but um, he's done like Dakar and. Oh, okay. He, yeah, he's an off road guy. He's, he's badass, done, you know, Baja 1000 and all that stuff a bunch of times. But um, at the time, um, he he uh, he wanted to come. He had heard that I was going to take these kids. I can't remember. I must have told him. And he's like, I want to come. And so he came with us. Long story short is we did this ride. You know, I just took him on a death march. and uh, <laughs> Death march. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember halfway through it, uh, Christian was like, this is fucking stupid. Why are we doing this? You know, I'm just like. Keep going, buddy. There's no turning back now. We're like in the middle of nowhere. It's halfway through the ride, right? Like either direction you go, it's going to be a long ways back. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesse was great. Like Jesse was so, he was, Jesse was, he loved the outdoors. He's kind of a mountain man, like by nature, I think. And and he loved, like we got done with the ride and, you know, Christian was like, Christian was always a guy. He's like back to his car, in his car, gone. Yeah, like, just yeah. see you guys. I'm not even saying bye. Just I'm, I'm done. Train's yeah. over. I'm done. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know? uh, and, um, and me and Jesse were just like hanging out, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. Cause Quinn was like, where, where the fuck is Quinn? Like, there was no turns. He couldn't have got lost. And then we, eventually we like started going back up the hill. Like, he ended up crashing, like, tackling his front wheel and having to walk. But, um, yeah, just, you know, test, testing kids in different ways and just trying to figure out, you know, what what's best for them, really, right, at the races. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it was but, fun. I, I, I guess to answer your question in short, I, I enjoyed it. I loved going to the races. Um, and, you know, I loved when they, then, when they did good, right? Like yeah. it was – I was stoked for them. Yeah. That was, that was the best feeling to just be a part of, like, you know, somebody is somebody's success, you know, it's, it's cool. Well, it's funny that that whole mental side, like it's really, it's really just the conversation you have it in your head. That's it. You know, like everyone's body's hurting everyone. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's like levels where people are feeling better than others, but it's like you do a certain length ride or you do something a certain level of difficulty and at, at some point it's like everyone's fucked everyone's tired no one's pumped no one wants to be there but it's like who is adding more suffering to their suffering by telling themselves about how much they're suffering you know and it's just like that's really what it comes down to and it's like you you do enough of those things to just be like ah, oh, okay it's like it's it's makes it only makes it worse by like complaining and whinging and like the narrative in in your head you know and it's like how many people you either figure that out and you can just release it and let it go or you can't yeah no you're right and i mean i i even do like little fun things with with my with my kids um as far as like like sometimes i'll I'll tell them exactly what we're gonna do and sometimes i'm like I just, I don't tell them anything because I want to see yeah. if they can figure it out themselves, you know? And and when they don't figure it out themselves afterwards, like, it's kind of like lesson learned, hopefully, right? I'm like, dude, why, you didn't know how, how long we were going to go ride today. Why did you fucking go that hard that early in the ride up mm. the hill? 
you fucking blew apart. Or, or even sometimes when I do tell them, hey, we're going to do whatever, three laps of this, right? And we're going to, and each lap is going to progress, progressively get harder. And then at the end, you know, somebody blows up and I'm like, well, you blew up. What? You knew we were doing three laps. Why'd you go so fucking hard on lap one? Yeah. Right? Like, dude, use your head. Like, did you think you could go that hard on lap one and still go that hard on lap two and three? If you did, you got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and if yeah. you didn't think about it, well, you should you, think about yeah, it. Yeah, you should think about it. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I feel like there's, you know, a lot of sports. I mean, especially when you get to the, the top level, like, most of it is mental. Like, I always feel like there's a, there's a handful of guys. Granted, some guys are just way more talented than the rest, but there's always like uh, a handful of guys that could potentially win, right? It's just who can mentally put it all together. Oh yeah. Did you did you feel like or did you ever have a certain period in your life or a certain training or event or thing that you did where you fully like had to break that voice in your head in a way? Like were you kind of broke through the suffering or was it like an you were a natural at that in a sense to where like you could kind of do it like my brother for instance, he is just a little fucking freak. Like pisses me off. Like you could tell him today to go and run a marathon and he would just run the marathon and he wouldn't it mentally in his head like no matter how much he's hurting no matter how like he just won't say anything you'll never hear him complain and he'll just like do it and it's pretty impressive to be honest like he just has that gear right. and it's like I, I don't know whether he had it men naturally or whether like you know he kind of worked into it but he's kind of one of those guys where like you can't bury him like he'll wow. his whether it's pride or whether it's like he you know he wants to whatever his reasoning is but he's like one of those dudes so it's like did you learn that or was it a something that you like cultivated oh that's a good question i'm not sure i mean i'm not gonna sit here and claim that i couldn't be buried at something i mean there's definitely things but i <clears throat> i mean uh is definitely definitely driven. Um, me personally is definitely driven, and um, you know how the will to to push as as hard as I could. Like until it was just you know there was nothing left. Um, on the mental side of things, I think you know every, everybody's different, right? Like you got to find what it is yeah. that makes you tick. Yeah, and like I know. Um, you know, for me, like, there were certain things, like, a lot of people, you know, I don't know how many, but, uh, you know, people thought I was a dick back in the day racing because I didn't, I just, like, I, I would maybe blow people off or not, like, you know, uh, like, be aware of them, you know, because I'm just, like... Yeah, fucking, tunnel like, vision. Yeah. Like, somebody might, hey, Brian, you know, and I might not even, like, acknowledge them at all or whatever, right? And that, when, when I'm when I was racing, I was definitely like, like, I just, I mean, I used to be, um, I used to have a, a guy, Steve Blick, who was the, was the Oakley, like the Paggio, uh, yeah. of, of, or the Osho, you know, back in the day of, for the bike world. And, you know, they would be cleaning your glasses, goggles, getting, you know, ready every time you get in the gate, you know? And like, I mean, he was a good friend. But I just I just wouldn't talk to him, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, it's like, 
you know, you're, you're sitting there, you know, you're looking at the gate. I'm listening to like the start command. I'm watching the race in front, in front of me, you know, seeing who's doing good, what they're doing, you know, and he, and he's like, you know, handing you your, your glasses and you're just like, you know, you just look at it and you're just looking, you know, and just stay, <laughs> yeah. you know, stay focused. It's like, you know, it's, um, that's just how it was. You know, some people <laughs> maybe thought I was a dick or arrogant or I don't know what, whatever the case may be, but, um, I yeah. think a lot of I think a lot of guys can relate to that though. Like Ben Spees was in here only a few weeks ago, and mm. it's like he's one of America's greatest ever yeah. road racers, and said the exact same thing, man, word for word. Mm. It was like people thought I was an arrogant dick, but he's like I had no room in my mind for anything but racing. Yeah, and it's like that's cool. Yeah, like, I respect it. You know, yeah. like you you can only respect that. Like yeah. that's literally what you're there to do. Yeah, and that's a, another thing. Like I always always tell people like different right like you're kind of in a different uh you know whatever if you're like the whatever the top executive of uh you know some big company like you come in your office you shut the door and fucking you go to work yeah. right like head down you go to Hell work yeah. you do what you got to do you don't have to worry about people like walking in your office right yeah. like nobody's probably going to just walk in your office but we're, our office is like just out, out in the there. field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're out there. You're on. You know, there's whatever. There's that's a good way to put it. People, actually, people not too far away from you. You know, that might like, hey, can I get your autograph? Or hey, you know, whatever. Trying to talk to you, and you're like, dude, I don't. I'm not fucking talking right now. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> yeah. not the time that I want to talk. So you, you don't have that that luxury. You know. So um, no, yeah. it, it makes total sense. Other man. people are. You know, and hats off to them. They're they're completely different. You know, like Cedric Grassi is a perfect example. Like he is just he's just wanting to have fun. Right? Yeah, like it was just all about like this is a big Labrador. Yeah, just big goofing off, having fun, talking shit. You know, showing off for the crowd, whatever. Like that was that was Cedric. Yeah, and we we were on the same team together. There was times where like the team manager wanted him to be serious, and there was like a couple of races where he didn't want Cedric to race four cross because he wanted him to really focus on downhill because at that time I, I stopped racing downhill and that was like the wrong thing to do mentally for Cedric, <laughs> yeah. right? Because like he was like, no, fuck you. Like I, I love racing four cross. I want to race four cross. You're telling me I can't race? Then that would make him happy, right? And that wouldn't get the results that well, the team manager was hoping for. So and that's what I was about to say is like a guy like Cedric, like your coping mechanism with the pressure and the stress and like it was pointed attention, just pure focus. Whereas for a guy like him, if he did that, it probably stifled his performance. Like it, the, the nerves would get to him, the pressure would get to him. So like everyone's doing their, everyone's doing their best to cope. And even when it looks like someone doesn't give a fuck, like that's them trying to cope, you right. know? And that's where I think it goes back to with you training, like with the guys, you said you got to work, know what works for everybody exactly. to where it's like, that is him goofing around and like what looks like not taking it serious is actually him taking it extremely serious. Like right. that's what he has to do to extract the results from himself. You were just on the opposite end of that spectrum. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, does this, back to this kid ryan pinkerton that i trained you know the first two world cups um he he did okay he got fifth at the first world cup and then the second one he got caught in the rain so he didn't get a good result and then um i told him i like 
because I know how fast he is and I, I ride with him all the time. I know what kind of shape he's in. And I'm like, Ryan, you just like, you just need to ride like you ride back at home, you know? And, and yeah. these are the things you kind of learn when you're with somebody all the time, right? You learn, at least I think yeah, I learned that what to say to them, what they need, right? That, that, info, that positive reinforcement. Um, Cause some kids don't, believe in themselves as much as other people believe in them and this kid in particular i'm like i know he can win like i know he can win he just needs to make it happen right and yeah and so that's what i would always try to reinforce to him like dude you just ride like yourself ride like you do it don't think about this as another race this is just another training run like all the prep you did don't try to go faster than you you know than you've done in qualifying or you've done in practice just you know it'll all come together and then Bam, he won one, and bam, he won another one, then bam, he won another one. No and, way. And he just started fucking clicking them off. That's insane. You know, and, and he won the, the overall World Cup. So so that was his junior Yeah, that was World this Cup year. Win. Fuck, that's yeah. so sick. And what, what do you think he was doing? Like what? Because there's a difference, and I'd always say this, there's a difference between believing you could do something and knowing you can do something. Like you, Because one's hope. <laughs> And one's fact, right? You know, and and it's very very hard to believe in the fact until you've actually done it mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And it's like once you did it that one time. I think Deegan was kind of like that this year. You know, like he had that crazy result, right. and then once he did it one time, it was just like, okay, that's the new kind of benchmark. But right. like, what do you think it was for him that led to those kind of results back to back? I think it's just you know once you get one right then you get some self confidence yeah and then once the self confidence I mean that goes a long way because um, like you said one's hope and one's fact right like, <laughs> yeah he's like I hope uh, of course everybody hopes they can win right like yeah I mean maybe not everybody but most people right at that high level they're they're hoping they can win um, but until they do it you know it's it's always like is it going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's just like a, it's just like, a, you're just fine tuning the recipe, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. Yeah. Fine yeah. Tuning, you're like, ah, I need to, you know, it's like you're making guacamole and you're like, <laughs> Hey, taste this, you know? And you're like, yeah, a little more salt, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, a little more pepper. Right. And then you're finally, like, Oh yeah, that's it right there. Eventually you just find it and you're like, yep, that's it. I'm fucking, I'm on it. I mean, and I think that's, it's hard too because once you get on those rolls or once you start winning a lot of races or you start winning championships, right? And I'm sure, you know, McGrath will, will, will attest to this, right? He's won more than anybody, but it's like, then if you don't win, people are like, what happened? Mm. You're like, fuck, I got second. You know, like, like it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. Just because I won a lot doesn't mean I can win every single one of them forever, right? Like at some point, there's, people that are hungry and you know are trying to knock you off and so it is hard like that and that that pressure eventually just is on yourself like to keep it going right because then people start expecting you to win all the time well it's funny yeah expectations is the thing that really gets in the way of a lot of it like for me did world vets zero expectations win like not it's just not never gonna happen Ever. Yeah. So sweet. Like, where's the pressure? Like, without an expectation, you don't have the pressure. When I go to a jiu-jitsu tournament, I fully expect to win. And it's not even 
I, I don't even want to win more than I don't want to lose. Right. So like actually losing sounds worse to me than winning. So, and essentially like you're going there to not lose. <laughs> and that, that's when the, like the mental side of stuff like really comes into play is it's almost like, yeah, you don't even like the winnings, like uh, who cares? Like, I just don't want to lose in front of all these people. I don't want to get choked. I don't want to get beat. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine in that sport, it's, it's even gnarlier. You're getting beat up, um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I fully agree with you. And, um, you know, this might've also kind of, uh, added to maybe the, the perceived, um, you know, notion that like I was cocky or why people maybe didn't like me or my attitude at certain times. But I honestly, I didn't, um, I loved winning. Like I wanted to win and I loved it, but I wasn't a guy who was like, like, you know, going crazy, you know, you, I mean, there might've been a couple times where that were super, super special, but, um, I wasn't like, you know, flaunting it and, you know, making big celebrations and going going crazy, and so maybe I don't know. May, maybe that added to yeah, like, like that, that like, sent a bit of a message that wasn't the case, kind of thing. Yeah, um, but I really loved winning, but I just didn't. I just you know, I loved winning for me, not not for everybody else. I mean, my team and stuff for sure, but you know, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah, 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 and because that. Do you think there is people that like almost win for other people and it feels they, they get more enjoyment out of like what other people get from it or because there is something to be said for, you know, like an athlete that would go up to the hill and just race a dude one-on-one. Like if you knew that like, all right, he's the other best dude in the world at this. We go with no cameras, no lights, no, like you'd want to go and do it for like just that. Whereas there's other people that, everything's tied into it like the fans the podium the champagne like that there's two different styles of like enjoying winning i guess and i think that there's definitely like a way that they intersect but yeah they'd be like a casey stoner like if you said to casey stoner all right just his ideal race would be like i just want me and valentino on the track 20 minutes winner take all and no one there you know like he's that kind of guy like he that would mean just as much to him to win that as it would to win like a a gp right yeah uh yeah i think i'm probably more like casey stoner um because again not saying i've never done it but i i just wasn't the guy like go crazy and like you know i mean it's great to see fans cheering and that kind of stuff that that's great but you know I, I didn't like get too crazy and thrive so much off of that right like uh i i know my, my friend bryson martin from from dvo um again knowing him for so long uh, I, I can't remember who it was if it was like vital mtb or somebody did uh like an interview at interbike which used to be in vegas every year it was yep. like the big trade show for yep. bike where's it now they don't even do it anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, they they went around like with this question: Who's the most competitive, you know, guy you know, or you know? And like it was like kind of hands down, people were like Ryan Lopes. 
and, <laughs> and like I know you had RL on here and like me and RL and Kurt Voorhees and a handful of guys yeah. man we used to just like we would have we called them special olympics and I was always about like all right, let's see who could jump up the most stairs. All right, let's see who could jump up on this wall. Let's see who could do this. Like, <laughs> it was just always a competition, right? Like, uh, you know, I didn't really care what it was. Let's play ping pong. Let's do this. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, it was just like, uh, you know, it was, it was fun, right? But I, I think competition's good, right? Like, it just keeps elevating you uh, and, and the people that are competing with you. I mean, if you have no competition, it's, it's pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it makes sense because you did it your whole life. Like to be racing BMX, like there's just something different about racing. Yeah. You know, it's just like me versus you and actually like we've done it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Like there's something in it. And when you just do it as a kid, just over and over and over and over, like it's just got to in, like ingrain in you like a certain type of mentality. Yeah. I mean – I mean, it could be, uh, it can be negative sometimes. Like, even <laughs> yeah. my, you know, even my wife will say, like, "Dude, like, chill, chill out, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, it's your mom. Go easy on her." <laughs> and, you know, I get the go karts with my mom and dad. And, you know, I'm like, "Get out of the way, mom! You're fucking loud. You're fucking yeah. up my lap times." You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like. You know, I don't beat anything uh, mean out of it. It's just yeah, like, you just, know, you're just like in that, yeah. like ready to, you know, just win, I guess. Oh, uh, dude, I love <laughs> I mean, that. and not everybody's like that, you know. I mean, and and I don't, I mean, there's, there's certain things like, you know, like if I'm going to go ride motocross with MC, I'm not going to like expect yeah, to yeah. beat him, right? Yeah, yeah. But like him being at the level he is, like he could have fun with me and fuck with me, right? Like, you know. Like, oh, let me think. Like, oh, I passed him, right? And then he can just pass me right back. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fun, too, right? Yeah. Like, when you have that kind of, uh, I mean, it would be like you and jiu-jitsu. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know shit about jiu-jitsu, but, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I love, like, competitive. I love, I, I used to wrestle with my dad all the time when I was a little kid. Like, we could roll around on the mat, and, like, I could, like, try. I could try, and, yeah. you're, and you're yeah. so much better. You could be, like, you know, like. All right, I'm gonna get your leg right here. All right. <laughs> yeah. you just feel that, and I'm like, oh yeah, I feel it. And you can just fucking me, right? And I just feel like, yeah, yeah. And that's what, actually, you know, speaking of that sport, like back in the day, do you know who Pistol Pete Lonkarovich is? No. Pistol Pete, uh, Pete Lonkarovich, uh, he was a uh, like one of the top BMX racers oh. from you know back. He's he's probably five, six, seven years, probably five or six years older than me. Yeah. Um. But he was like top pro, you know, uh, BMX racer, and then he he raced mountain bikes too for a little bit. Um, but God, back in the I don't know in the eighties, he started doing jujitsu, and um, you know he he's like I don't even know how many time black belt jujitsu guy. But uh, you know I, <laughs> I I used to love like. Trying to mess with him, you know, like, yeah. just because I knew, like, oh, like, I want to just see what he could do, you know, just to just to see. But, um, oh, dude, he would be a monster if he started jujitsu back then. Yeah. Like, did you ever see him getting into any shit on like the streets or like people actually fucking with him or anything? No. Oh, that would have been awesome, man. I was actually I had a famous jujitsu dude in here yesterday, and we had lunch, and we were talking about, um, like if you know people they try and fuck with you on the street or whatever like once you've done it for a certain period of time 
and you reach a certain level, you're just like, hey, man, nah, yeah. we're not doing any of this shit. Like, because right. <laughs> you just kind of know. Like, and so, anyway, we, we're at, uh, I did a, a camp in Thailand with this dude. He's one of the best in the world. Like, he's 70, he was 77 kilos. And there's this thing called ADCC, which is like the Olympics of Jiu Jitsu. It happens every two years. It's like no gi. So it's just like, like you can literally just wear no shirt. This is like the ultimate grappling event. So like Russian wrestlers do it, like judo dudes do it. You've got to qualify. There's trials all over the world. So anyway, this dude, Lockie, went in 77 kilos and he submitted all of these 130 kilo dudes. So he's like a full ninja. And we're at this pool hall in Thailand doing this uh, doing this training camp. He was a coach there. And there's these kids leaned over the pool table. He's only a little, little dude. And um, the two tables are next to each other. And anytime he was behind him, they kept like whacking him with the pool cue and like just fully antagonizing him. And we were like getting riled up. Like, fuck these little assholes, you know, like let's, let's smash them. And he was just so... Just didn't even bat an eyelid, eh? Yeah. It's just like he's got to such a crazy high level to where he's just like, yeah, there would be no point in me destroying these three little assholes. Right. No, I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. I used to like like to watch that um, back in the day when, like, the Gracies, there was, yeah. like, no eight, like... No like, weight limit. Yeah, no weight that. limit. Yeah, no wearing geese and shit. Yeah, I used to like to watch it because I was always intrigued by, like what the fuck just happened? Like, and you're like, you know, and then they do like a slow-mo and you're like, oh, that's rad. He had his ankle? I had no idea. Or whatever, you know? And so I, I used to like that. I'm not so much into the the barbaric, just like smashing people, you know? Like, yeah. you know, they get knocked out and then the guy's like jumping on him, pounding just on his face going. when he's like clearly laying on his back. I'm like, oh, that seems brutal. It is pretty gnarly. Do, do you really need to do that? Like, the guy just fell backwards straight to his back. Do you need to jump on him and... <laughs> And bash his brain. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> but I but I do like the the submission th- stuff. Like, I wish I actually knew a little bit of that myself. You know, just if I always try to avoid that kind of stuff. But if it ever happened, just to be like, like yeah. you said, like, dude, just walk away, and then they don't, and you're like, and you're just like, <laughs> dude, I'll break your arm right now. Just walk away, okay? Like, <laughs> I've, I've literally said to dudes like a guy. There was a dude giving a, a chick a hard time in like a nightclub once, and I like walked up and I literally just won a state champ. Like we were out with like our whole team after like a state title, and I just walked up and I was like, hey man, like I don't know that she really wants to be touched like that, you know? Like I think maybe, and he got all in my face, and I'm like, hey bro. All of these guys just won the jiu-jitsu state titles. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I did, they did. Like, you should not do this or you should settle down because right. you'll just get choked while you're standing up and right. then you'll get dropped on the floor in front of all these people. And that would be terrible for you. So let's just not do that. It just changes the way that you would like interface with certain things. And it's like when you're not scared of something, Right. that it changes how you can kind of like interact in the moment. But yeah, I think it's one of those things too, where like the better you get, the less you do. I mean, I'm sure there's some guys out there that are kind of dicks about it. We actually had one dude, he was a bit of a dick. He was like on our team or whatever. He was in our gym and he was he was asleep, naked. Some dudes tried to steal his car and he's got up for like a drink of water in the middle of the night. It was like three o'clock in the morning. 
and uh, and he he looked on like his security cameras, and there's a guy like trying to break into his car. So he's fucking stark naked. The dude's like six four, like massive on steroids. And he chased this dude down the street and his security cameras got all of it. And this guy gets maybe like five steps out of his driveway onto the road and this dude just ankle taps him and <laughs> chokes him out unconscious and drags him back to his uh, front doorstep, calls the cops and just stands there naked. Cops rock up and he's still got his dick out and he's, oh he's like on the news and shit like that. Like, oh, it was so funny. But he's one of those guys where <laughs> he was, wanted to use his new powers. Yeah, I wonder, are, are some of those like super top level guys, like when they, when they fight and the kind of attitude they... They have like like a Connor. Is is that is that really how he is in in real life outside of like the the cameras and the you know? I'd say it'd be who were we talking about before about like the kind of ego? Oh, that yeah, it's like there's a certain yeah like ego that you got to carry to like put yourself in that situation. Like you'd have to convince yourself you're a certain type of person. So I feel like a lot of those guys kind of do live in that mode but it's pretty corrupting i think to like to be conor mcgregor all the time like you really would have to like you would have had to have a switch from being the guy that didn't acknowledge your goggle dude to when it's all over like being friends with him again you know right so it's like i'm there'd have to be a balance but i'm i I feel like some of those guys just kind of live like that you know like then they just go on these four five year runs of just being like these egomaniac fucking nightmares that yeah like i saw him train and bash a shit out of people and didn't who was i I remember watching a fight where he like the guy broke his leg yeah that was connor yeah connor broke his leg right yeah 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 Yeah, i don't remember who he was fighting but but then he's like yeah, he's like uh, laying, sitting on the cage, like, and he's still talking shit. And you're like, he's like, your wife sent me DMs. Yeah, like, you're like, what are you like? Really? Get your leg fixed, bro. yeah, dude. But but to to complete opposite, I used to um, always like to watch Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, because I thought Manny Pacquiao was awesome. He was like such a nice guy. He seemed like you know, and he was like respectful. And I mean, he's beating shit out of guys, but he was like, you know. Yeah, like a he martial artist. Yeah, he wasn't like just crazy talking shit. And did, he was just like, yeah, let's fight. We're here to fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he ended up being like a governor or a senator in yeah. the Philippines. And like he's super religious. And like I think he's given away a ton of different, like yeah. a, a bunch of money and stuff. So I think he's just one of those. Because there's, there's definitely like a camp of people in that world where it's like a fighter or like a martial artist. Mm. And there's... There's got like you'd have a Conor McGregor would do, he'd do a camp for six to eight weeks where he's a fighter, and then he might go in and out of the gym like a little bit until he gets his next fight, and then he goes back in the camp. And there's some guys like I'd say a Manny Pacquiao kind of guy where it's like it's just their life, like right. it's who they are. They're in the gym every day, like they're just they're living that lifestyle. And you'd say they're more of like a martial artist right. in a, in a sense, you know? Yeah. But yeah, interesting dynamics, and it's such just a crazy sport to be able to do it. Yeah, doesn't seem like a fun way to make a living to me. But maybe, oh. <laughs> well, the, the, the dude in here um, yesterday, Nicky Roddy's like twenty five and makes a bunch of good money. Doesn't have to get punched in the face. Like he's a professional like grappler. Like it's all he does. Oh, okay. It's a, such a sick lane and a sick industry that you can actually make money doing that and not have to like the gracies back in the day they had to fight there was no 
Right. There was no like professional jujitsu for them, you know? Right. Now they have gyms all over the place. Yeah. Man, that that family would have made so much money. There's like, I actually want to get the guy on the podcast, Keenan Cornelius. He's down in San Diego. He, uh, he was like a, one of the, like a prodigy. He was kind of like Adam Cincerello, basically of jujitsu. And then he now owns his own gym and, uh, he's called it American Jiu-Jitsu. And he's like just fully gone back through all the archives and he's like trying to make American jiu-jitsu a thing. There's like articles from 1912 of American jiu-jitsu and all that sort of shit. So he's like fully trying to uncover this whole American history of it. So it's pretty, pretty sick. So where, where are you at in jiu-jitsu? Like do you, like when you're here, do you have a place that you go train? Do you have, like you go train with somebody uh, or are a- you just pra- like, there's a gym that I've been training at in Murrieta because we were staying in Murrieta and Temecula, but we've literally just moved here. Okay. So I'm actually this like Thursday, for taste it. yeah, probably tonight, tomorrow night on the weekend, like we'll try and move around to see if there's like a, a gym that we like because my wife trains as well. Okay. So yeah, we'll try and, and when you And when you find a gym that you like, is that because of like the overall atmosphere or like one trainer? Do you train with one trainer or is it just like... Well, you normally... Uh, you should come to a class if you're ever like in, into doing it. But you basically, on a, just an average class, you go in, there's like a 10-minute warm-up where you'll do like a bunch of... just It's more like body movements that you kind of do a lot. You'll do a lot of like forward rolls, back like gymnastics kind of stuff because you sort of... You have to be very like aware proprioceptively of like where your body is how like because sometimes you've got like a second until you hit the mat and you could be in like a really shitty kind of spot right uh, so you'll do like a 10 minute warm-up then there'll be like one coach that will maybe you do like three different techniques and then you'll do some like positional rounds so if you worked on let's say there's like a a guard like a delaheva you'll like start in delaheva maybe you just learn like three different delaheva techniques and so you'll start there with all those groups and then you'll try and do something from what you learned. And then the last 25, 30 minutes is like actual just free rolling kind of Mm. practice. So it's kind of most of the classes, wherever you go in the world, they're kind of all structured the structured the same. It's pretty sick. Like we went to Vegas on the weekend to watch a, like a UFC um, grappling night. Uh And we just walked into a gym Sunday morning, just looked on the internet and it was like, all right, there's an open mat here at 11 and you just went in. Rent, like you don't you don't know like no, no one charges you like when it's oh, wow. yeah it's a sick community like that huh. like no one's just like yeah come roll with us had a me and my wife had a couple rolls and then i rolled with this purple belt dude it was really good we had like a fucking it was it's crazy when you think like i went in didn't know anyone me and this dude just bashed each other for six minutes like hard as fuck didn't know it didn't even say a word to each other before it and then you just go like full send and then at the end of it, we sat down for a couple of minutes. We're like, oh, that was really fun when you were here. And there. It's a, like a very strange kind yeah, of yeah. dynamic, but you have like this, there's rules to it, obviously. And it's like, there's, there's only certain things you can and you can't do. So you end up, I've got my things that I do. He's got his things. You come together, you have like a, a fight and then you fucking mates, you know, no <laughs> one's hurt. No one's like, yeah. it was hard and you went a hundred percent and try to bury each other yeah. and then at the end of it you're just like oh sick. so is there i mean are most of the time is there that respect and mm. and how do you know who who you're gonna be grappling with like just pick someone yeah but even if he's like way better than you oh, or yeah. way shittier than you it doesn't yeah. matter yeah yeah and i mean that's one of the kind of cool things about it like there's 
you have to learn to be humble in two ways. So I can go into a gym and there's guys that I definitely cannot beat. And then I then there's a whole subset of people that I definitely can beat and they could just there's nothing they could do to beat me. So you end up having to be super humble to be that guy that trains with a person that it's like they've just literally got no chance. Right. And then that then you've got to be humble when you get fucked up by some guy who you literally have no right. chance to beat. So yeah, it's it has like a way of filtering people out that like can't handle those two things. And then if you end up being a person that fucks up all the people that, you know, don't really have a chance against you, then there's there's always a bigger fish. Right. And people know that you're that guy. Like I've just full there's been guys where I've watched them roll with a girl, the role before and then I've just walked up. I'm like, you yeah, mate, let's go and just completely smash them <laughs> because it's just no, you know, like they just weren't respectful to the way that you should be respectful when you're like training with a girl. So I right. just fucking smashed the dude, made him rethink his entire existence. But yeah, it's like it's a pretty pretty gnarly little. Pretty do, they, gnarly do they ever you know, like? So do they know what belt you are? Yeah. Oh, so they, you wear wear your yeah. color belt when yeah. you're in there? Yeah, yeah. But it's sometimes in nogi that there's no belts, mm. so that's where you, you're not wearing like the kimono yeah. and the thing. Yeah. So that you can't tell unless you've got like your, you can wear like your colored rashi for what your belt is. Okay. But yeah, if you don't like, I might just wear like all black. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh mate. And then they're not going to say anything to you after, like, oh mate, he just licks his wounds and kind of hangs his head because he already knows he can't beat me up. So, like, what's he, you know, it's like a pretty, yeah, a pretty good leveler for people that, you know, it really, really puts you in your place. It really, you have to be respectful. Otherwise, you just right. get fucking smashed. But there is still a lot of tools that do it. Huh. You ever get a guy that's just like, oh, yeah. he's like, you're like, <clears throat> Like in that guy's situation, if immediately he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get my ass kicked," he just like doesn't try because I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hurt him, right? Well, the thing is, is like it's kind of gnarly, <laughs> so yeah. I'm no, like you don't want. I mean, it hurts, but it's not like gonna break him. But like I'd like get both if I'm on top of him, you know, like get on like that mount position, and you can like get people's elbows, arms above their head, and you just squeeze their fucking your chest into their face. They can't breathe. It's all it's like being waterboarded. Like there's so much gnarly shit you can do, but uh, but yeah, he's like there's definitely yeah people what they're just not cool. Like there's guys I've trained with at the gym where I fucking can't stand them and never want to roll with them, never want to train, right. even if they're not even that they're better. It's just they're just dicks, yeah. you know, and you just don't – some people you just don't gel with. I mean, I almost feel like that's like going to like certain dirt jump spots, you know, like if you get these like <laughs> local – you know, I, I think it's the same like in surfing, right? Like yeah. you get these locals that are like, you know, they're just – they like think they own the place and they're not even – like they might be okay, but they're not that good, you know, but yeah. they think they're just like the boss of the fucking jumps. Yeah. And some of them are, but, you know, it's just like really like – Fuck, the guy just like barely cased the jump. Like, you don't got to be a dick to him. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like. Man, how many times, is, like, we had gnarly dirt jumps when I was a kid. That's what, like, all we did, just ride BMX and do dirt jumps. And man, the education you get down at the dirt jumps when you're a kid. It's so, because there's always some, like, kind of methy dudes down there and some random 40 year old that's still riding BMX and you're 10 and he's ripping on you. Like, it's a pretty weird ecosystem. 
<laughs> it is, man. I, I mean, when I think back to like when I was little and the dirt jumps I'd go to, I guess I was, uh, I kind of look back and go, man, I'm, I, I guess I'm pretty fortunate I made it out. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, like you said, there's some, some sketchy people at, at some of those um, spots, but um i mean even sheep hills like we're, we're gonna go yeah and i'd she, love to go i mean it's you know freaking sheep is world famous been there forever yeah um actually she we probably need to go sooner than late like real uh, soon because it's gonna rain okay. and it's in a wetlands so when it rains it floods and then i mean it, it's with, with this rain coming i think when's the rain coming i think i think they said saturday Ooh. The Hill. desert, yeah. going to the desert. Hills. Let's go ride some moto. Yeah, yeah. What what moto do you ride these days? Uh, I have a, well, Yamaha. You got a Yami. Well, I got two bikes. One of them is Yamaha. Um, lucky enough to to get one, uh, a loaner bike from them. It's a YZ250 FX. Yes, wait. So I don't. I don't ride the track anymore. I used to ride the track when I was young, but I, don't, I never, ever go to the track. I'm just desert guy, and I really enjoy just single track and, Kind of more like the hard enduro stuff. Would you do a race if the right race came up? Um, yeah, I got a race for you. Yeah, no, I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, okay, Kane, <laughs> maybe, but it's like it's GP style is like track too, right? Yeah, but it's going to be tamed down, so it's, there's no big doubles. Yeah. That, so it's like it's literally designed for you and me. Like it's designed for normal people <laughs> that have a job. So it's like it's 500 minutes, so eight hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. And then so you do a team of two, three, or four. Yeah. And then you just you each team gets a transponder, and so you just got to ride the trans. It'll yeah. be like a 20 minute. So for a guy like you do, if you had four guys on your team, then you do uh, three guys on your team. So you do one lap an hour. Right. So you do 20 minutes on. 40 minutes off, 20 right. minutes on, 40 minutes off. So every every 40 minutes you're doing a 20 Wh- minute. When is it? March 9th. It's in Mesquite. Yeah. And it's like a really cool, really cool venue. Yeah. Uh, uh, get you out uh, there. Maybe. Who would you do it with? Have you got a couple buddies you'd, that you ride? Dude, get, let's get Troy I, to do it. Oh, Troy would love Troy loved. I mean, he was out at- Day of the, the Dirt. Yeah. Yeah. The World Vets. The, the World Vets, yeah. 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 That was funny because uh, I went out there, you know, because Troy got inducted, you know, that, yeah. that weekend. Yeah. And so I went out for that. And honestly, I didn't even know that it was the same weekend as World Vets. And so I pull up later in the day. I open my, you know, getting out of my truck. And the first thing I hear is McGrath and second, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, and then I hear, you know, Brownie, you know, <laughs> whatever, eight seconds in front. I'm like. Whoa! What? What? What race? Is where this? am I? Yeah. Like, like I thought I was just you know. Am I nineteen ninety four? Yeah, I thought I was just going to. I mean, obviously, I was going to watch Troy get inducted, but I thought it was just like a local race or something going on, you know. And then so I watched the last lap of uh, of him and Brownie, and but um, yeah, Troy would for sure do it. Um, he loves I think Max kind of is going to do it. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I think Max and so there's the three boys that live. They all live together, like uh-huh. Max and then Christian from Alpine Stars, and then that one of the other boys. So they're yep. all. So I was like, boys, you guys could do it as well. It'd be pretty sick. Like it's just takes takes so much pressure off. Like you you don't know who's winning. Yeah, like it's just a fucking big free for all, you know. And you just at the end of the day, you're just like, oh sweet, we did this. Yeah. Are you uh, are you into like riding like technical trails yeah. and single track? Yeah. I don't do have, it. You, have you ever ridden down in Baja? No. I would like to do that. I've actually never been to Mexico. 
of all the years I lived here, I was just too. I just didn't want to go across the border and do the visa mm. passport. Like it was always just a bit too. Right. I was like, yeah, I could do it nowadays though. It's it's sick. The I riding mean, down there. Yeah. I mean, I always go with people that know where they're going. Like, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it's unbelievable. You can ride everything down there. I mean, gnarly technical trails or you know whooped out fast stuff. I'm not so much into like going super fast. Um, I mean, I, I'm into going fast, but like on tighter, techie, yeah. more kind of trails. So, you know, I'm not going, you know, 50 miles an hour. Yeah. Right. Like fast on those trails. Like you're going 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm kind of with you there. Like we got this big race in Australia called the Fink and I was signed up to do it one year. I actually didn't end up making it, but it's like, dude, two hours of just fifth gear wide open just oh, yeah. sand whoop like baja spec kind of but less rocky and and just wide open you know yeah so it's like i just don't know if i got that in me eh? like i'm just not yeah. i don't know that i'm that guy uh, even on mountain bikes like when i when i rode mountain bikes i'd love the rudy rocky technical like stuff more than just <laughs> i just didn't didn't really have that gear yeah so i have that yz 250 fx for like if i'm going to the desert or just you know, riding more like flowy kind of faster kind of stuff. I, I love that bike. I ride that. And then if I'm going to ride like more techie, hard enduro stuff, I have a, a 300. Oh, two-stroke. perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's what you need. Wait, I'm going to piss real quick. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Almost made it. Almost made it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, those like the enduro kind of moto bikes like those in betweeners between the full blown trail and the the motos they're actually pretty pretty sick and it's like perfect for that kind of riding like they're just so much more forgiving right than the track bikes but they're still they've still like got that motor there you know yeah and i think like they're not as gnarly like so snappy and yeah. like you know a li- little bit more mellow and it's it's kind of nice if you're not you know doing it all the time is there many trails and like kind of hills and stuff to ride motos through Laguna or is, is it no. only like you can't do it? Yeah. No, no moto in Laguna. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. They wouldn't like that. A lot of, a lot of trails. I mean, tons and tons of trails. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if we're going to go dirt jumping, we should do that in the next few days. But I mean, we can go ride, you know, a few days after the rain and the dirt will be really good. Yeah. It'll be mint. Yeah. Yeah, I've, dude, I wouldn't uh, I don't even know, like, the last time I would have hit a jump on a mountain bike, eh? Like, it'd be a, that'd be a big learning curve again. Well, yeah, I mean, Sheep Hill's all, like, dirt jump-style jumps. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, there's some mellow stuff there. There's some small stuff as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, a lot of, the, like, the pure dirt jumpers, I think, don't like it as much because it's flat. Yeah. You know, nowadays, like, guys just, you know, roll down a hill and, like, just... Sheep, you actually got to pedal into shit because it's uh, flat. Yeah, yeah. So it's so iconic that place. How long has it been around? I mean, I would say, I would say at, at least twenty five years. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's Maybe, as long probably, as I can remember. Probably more. Yeah. How old are you? Thirty five. Thirty five. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just I remember it from like all the magazines and video parts, and it was just like it's a cultural thing. Damn, so you were young, like, wow. So did you go to the, the Worlds in Cairns? Uh, I don't 
I don't know. Like, I don't think I was at that. I rode the track a bunch, mm. but for whatever reason that we, my family was just doing something like, mm. cause I was pretty, I was pretty young. I was, I would have only been like eight back then. I say, yeah. yeah. But I've, I ended up racing that track and then I ro- raced the, they used to have like worlds and then the nationals. So that, that downhill got like split into, into two. Oh. And so that was like my local club day. Like whenever we went we'd go there and we used to go and push our bikes up the the trails at, at that yeah. place and they had the four cross track there which like used to race all that as well that was like that yeah. like the bottom of the the downhill but yeah no i never never actually got to that and then when it went back there to for the worlds i was living here so i've missed it every single uh, missed it every single time yeah i mean glenn i mean back in the day glenn was like uh you know making interesting obstacles on the tracks yeah. yeah he had like the utter section did you ever remember that <laughs> yeah they call them like the. they were just like he called them the udders right yeah. and it was like like the cow udders and he just had like mounds of dirt you know just like placed randomly i always thought those were kind of interesting and fun and then i remember like him building a stall wall was the first time i ever rode oh, like a stall wall really you know, to like scrub our speed down like yeah glenn was Glenn was uh, definitely, you know, pretty progressive, I think, for those days, you know. But, again, kind of not appreciating stuff when you're younger, you know. Like, sometimes you'd be like, Glenn, what the fuck is this shit you're building? Like, dude, yeah. this is stupid, you know. Or yeah. what, you know, build build a double or build a triple. Like, what is this? You know, but then you look back at it and you think, damn, that was actually pretty cool, you know. And, like, way ahead of its time. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Man, I'd love for you to go ride derby down in tasmania yeah like no, that's I it's so sick like it's i think when you look at it from it's not like an extreme bike park like right. biggest hits you know it's not like one of those places but as like a mountain bike i don't know whether purist is the right word but like someone that just appreciates mountain biking and trail building and everything that's around it like i first went there it must have been 2018 i reckon and or maybe 27 maybe even earlier 2017 hans flew down there yep. to do like it was one of the first trips and i was filming i actually remember because i had a kidney surgery like the a f- uh, six weeks before it or something and uh and i was like pissing blood the whole time i was like filming i had like my backpack and i was like oh fuck this isn't good but um yeah so hans hans went down there for like the first kind of iteration of it i remember that but man it's just unreal. Yeah. Like the town was nothing. Like literally there yep. was dead. You know, you, you talk about a place like mountain bike, like the power of mountain biking. And this was before the COVID boom. This was like right. years before all that. And you go there and the whole town is a mountain biking town in the way that you go to Mammoth and it's a ski town. And it's just the coolest experience. Like every restaurant has bike racks out the front of it. And it's all like, it's so welcoming to mountain bikers. It's such like the culture is so alive there. And then the trails are so much fun. Like just no brakes. Everything's just flow. Every Like if you hit the turn before with no brakes, you're making the jump, you know? And it's just, oh, it's so enjoyable to ride. And it's like, it's almost too good. It yeah. just ruins like a normal average trail, you know. Yeah, we used to have a place um, in Whistler and, you know, go there to race every year. And um, my wife, she she would love to ride the trails in Whistler. She would 
come back from with you know we'd be there for three weeks come back and she'd go you know go for a ride here and be like eh yeah you know same for me too you'd be like eh and then she would just not really ride because she just rode for fun you know it's just like you go to some sick places like that and you come back and you're like damn you're kind of unmotivated to ride when you just rode like the raddest shit ever oh and it should be everywhere yeah you know like the the Glen and like the world trail like it's yeah. government funded you know it's yeah. like and here man they got amazing mountains a fuck ton of people that like riding and there's none of that you know it should be everywhere yeah no i know that i i can't remember it's probably eight or nine years ago but last time i was in australia um i remember riding with some guys and we came across these guys that were working on the trail and they had you know, signs up and they were digging and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I learned then about that. Like they get like credits for the hours that they put out and like, you know, depending on the amount of credits, they get a certain amount of money for those credits so they could buy more tools or more rock or whatever they need to like up, keep the trails. It was super cool. I was like, yeah, we don't really have anything. I, I don't even do that much trail work here because it's so regulated like mm. like if if in laguna you know especially if you go out there and just want to be like hey, i'm gonna go dig today and they catch you they'll they'll give you a fine really yeah fuck that's crazy so it's like i did i did some trail work um uh like in the spring this year because it's just like what happened, especially last winter, a lot of rain, then the spring, you know, just yeah. all the trails just get so overgrown with like these, you know, seven foot high mustard plants and stuff. You can't even go through them without hitting your bars. I was just out there literally just trimming back the trail. And I had this, I was lit, like there for five minutes and I had this hiker go, oh, do you work for um, the Laguna Canyon Foundation? And I was like, no. And he goes, oh, so you're not supposed to be doing this, are you? <laughs> Like, that's when you need jujitsu. Yeah, I was like, really, dude? <laughs> Put him to sleep. Let I'm, him just, roll down I'm just clearing the trail out so like a biker doesn't clean you out because they can actually see where they're going. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a weird mentality. Some people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways. <laughs> uh, well, mate, we just did three hours and uh, I've loved it. Yeah. It's been, this has been unreal. I'm so glad. Like it's... Uh, I mean, I obviously do it for a living, but when you sit across from people, you just spent forever watching yeah. and, you know, I was, I was so young and you guys were so influential in like my riding and like loving bikes and just like kind of becoming a fan of a sport for the first time. It was you yeah. guys that, that like gave me that experience. You know? Oh, so nice. It's really cool to get to sit here and uh, yeah. and, and share a couple it's of hours. It's weird where life takes you, huh? It is. It, <laughs> I thought about it today. I was just like, man, it's so crazy. Like the, just the the distance you can go from where you started <laughs> in in life, you know? For me, it was kind of funny. Like, um, <clears throat> Wardy, you know, when I was a little kid, Wardy's like 10 years older than me. And so I grew up in Mission Viejo, and Ward was, Jeff Ward was from Mission Viejo. So when I was a little kid, you know, and I watched Supercross, you know, it would be like, that, he's he was, man. He was yeah. the man because he's from Mission Viejo. Yeah. And, dude, I remember back in the day, like, you know, we had phone books, you know, you're like, Oh, what's Wardy's phone number? You you call the <laughs> operator like, Oh yeah. Can you put, can you uh, give me Jeff Ward's phone number? Or, you know, call Jeff Ward, you know, you know, and, and they, it wouldn't happen. But like, 
you know, and <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and now I'm buddies with Wardy, and you know, ride bikes with them and stuff randomly here and there, and you know, it's just kind of funny where your life takes you, you know. Yeah, yeah, and so that's kind of one of those moments for me. So yeah. I appreciate it, and uh, I'd love to go for a ride as well. We'll definitely, Perfect. definitely make that happen. So dirt jump. Dirt jumps, get me on the Yamaha. Got the, got the Yamaha, go do some trail riding. Yeah, and then come do the race. Try and get a couple. Have you got a couple boys you do it with? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can get a couple guys. Just need two guys, th- three guys yeah. if, you, if you're, you know, a bit worried. But I feel like yeah. three, three is a sweet spot. Yeah. A couple boys, get out there, send it. Yahoo yeah. at each other on the way past. Yeah, and if you want to go down to Baja and do any techie shit or like my buddy um one of my buddies i go to baja with he lives in bishop you know where that's at uh yeah on the way up to mammoth <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah and he has some super gnarly super gnarly techie trails there actually jeremy wants to go there too so maybe we should get a little trip the, uh, keep me keep me in the loop on that for sure because i went up when i went to mammoth this year for the first time and it was dude it was so sick like we were jeremy was fucking ripping and we had all of our boys who's like LA just like Jeremy McGrath you know and so we're just on the side of the track like fucking let's go and he's coming past and they're just like signature MC style like they got the big downhill and then you turn you got the big right bowl turn yeah but it's just a super cross turn and just every lap just McGrath fucking 96 you're (laughs) through that turn and I was like oh he still got it but uh we we rode we we trail rode the the whole day before in Mammoth, uh-huh. and apparently there's like sick rides that go all the way through like June Lake and Bishop from mm. from Mammoth. Apparently they're unreal. So it was one of the best days I had. Well, what do you have for a bike? I just I'd get one for that. Okay. Yeah, I I just got a three fifty motocross bike, so I'll get one for. But I've got to get one for the race as well. So I'll, just, <laughs> I'll figure it out. I mean, you could. I'm sure you could do it on a four stroke but like some of the stuff i'd say two stroke would be better really like yeah. so it's that techie like yeah. i might suck <laughs> it's yeah it's really techie <laughs> oh that's right i used to ride with colton haker a lot when he lived here and uh he had a cool place eh, in him yeah. there, um in menifee yeah yeah it was rad him and jeff aaron i had a trials bike for a little bit I'd oh try, so you tra- fully i was trying to learn a little bit that. of that with those guys you know but um man it was fun yes i loved going riding with those guys you know it was, I, I the tables were were kind of turned you know with me on a bicycle you know yeah I, they colton would like go up some gnarly thing and then he would just take off his helmet and sit on a rock and watch us just yeah. struggle yeah. yeah but i love it dude i love that kind of stuff like oh, i haven't done that much of like the real gnarly technical shit like okay. we, we've done a couple we do a ride where we go for two weeks up to like the tip of Australia and back. Uh-huh. And there's a couple bits where you go where it's like super rock slabby kind of technical stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure if you rode around, you could like find some cool shit, but we're kind of like. So have you it. ever ridden like a super gummy tire? Nah. Dude, you need to get like a meet us, like really? double, double green stripe tire and feel the friggin' with the a, with a, with a moose in it. I mean, we only ride mooses. Yeah. Cause it's like 11 PSI. <laughs> yeah. If that, yeah. Even yeah. Lower. lower than that. Yeah. yeah right. Like some of, sometimes they feel almost flat. No shit. Yeah. Huh? But dude, that's where the 300 two strike could be mint. Yeah. Yeah. The grip and just, yeah. If you got a hard tire, dude, you need to get hit up the guys that meet us. I'm sure they'll give you some some super gummy <laughs> double green stripe tires and you'll just be like, what? Uh, well, if you don't ride that stuff very much, you might not 
feel the difference. But no, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to like rip your GP on one of those kind of tires. But yeah, yeah. You get yeah. into that slow, techy stuff, gnarly rocks. And I mean, yeah. We'll try and make well, it happen. It's kind of tight, like cheating a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again, mate. And Thank you. Uh, we'll do it again. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Legend.